Welcome to episode 143 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode is called Playing With Fire, as we'll be sharing impressions of Fire Emblem Heroes, which is Nintendo's first full embrace of traditional free-to-play mechanics like the gotcha system and what and uh, whatnot, which they've resisted for such a long time, so now they're jumping into this thing that's sometimes considered gambling by some people, like because you're using actual money on odds, and they're hesitant to do it, and now they're doing it, so they're playing with fire. I know See it's how called... that all comes together? I... I... <laughs> I understand the the meaning behind the word like gotcha system, yeah. but it also sounds like, like gotcha. Like, yeah, like, like gotcha. Like yeah. you're stuck in our trap. Yeah. So though, for those who don't know, gotcha. So it still kind of works. It's an it's an onomatopoeia for the sound of a toy capsule machine in Japan, where you get the randomized toys. But it also works as gotcha because it is kind of ripping you off. So <laughs> so we're gonna impressions of Fire Emblem Heroes and that layer in the show. But really, there's kind of something for everyone this episode. Uh, as we promised last episode, we've got our picks for key third party games. You're right, Sony fans, you're out of luck. I'm sorry. But for Nintendo fans, there's almost something for everyone because we have our uh, key third-party Switch games that we were going to talk about last episode that we are talking about this episode, or we promised last episode. We also had some Switch news from Nintendo's financial briefing last week, along with updates on what's in store for 3DS and for mobile, and our thoughts on the recent Fire Emblem news from the Fire Emblem Direct, plus, of course, the financials and those Fire Emblem impressions and impressions of surprise smartphone release Pokemon Duel, which also uses a gotcha system. We could just call this episode Gotcha, but oh well. <laughs> Uh, so, I guess uh, we should start off with the third-party Switch games, which is kind of a continuation of last episode, where we pretty much talked about all the hardware and the first-party stuff, and then literally ran out of time, so we were saving our third-party picks for now, and it kind of works out, because in the time since, there's actually been more announcements of more games of note that we are excited for. It's so, almost as if what the exec said was true, that there will be more announcements Yeah, it's almost as if Damon Baker, the liaison of third-party relations, knew there'd be more third-party relations to be had. Huh. But yeah, and so... all those people saying, like, oh, there's nothing at launch. Like, you literally could have waited, and we got, like, what? A like couple more. Again? Yeah, we got at least five coming at or around... Coming before summer, basically. I mean, albeit that a few of them are re-releases. But nonetheless, it's a but beefed-up I mean, yeah. library. And yeah. I mean, the thing is, because at the Switch presentation, they announced 80 games from 50 developers, and at the financial briefing last week, they announced it's now up to 100 games from 70 developers. That's in two weeks. Span. So, like, things are growing pretty quickly. So, there's a lot of games. We're obviously not covering all 100. We're only going to pick a few that we, either of us, think are worth talking about or worth getting or whatever. So, to start, for me personally, and I, I don't know, I think you're somewhat in the same boat, but I'm really looking forward to maybe my most looked forward to game besides Zelda, uh, Super Bomberman R. So, if I'm not mistaken, this might actually be the first Bomberman game in, like, seven or eight years. I think the last one was on, like, xbox in 2010 or something like bomberman blast is that right and the wii had one but they were all download only as far as new bomberman goes i don't know i feel like the last new bomberman as in like not a port or remake or something and that's when it was one on game boy advance i mean i know there was one on n64 well okay there's been some since game boy advance no i know exactly yeah, yeah that's what, like i i mean i know there was a gritty reboot one but oh god act zero yeah yeah. People don't, or is it Axe Zero or just Barman Zero? Either way, it had a score of zero on all the reviews. So, But yeah, so I guess no matter when the last one was, there's definitely nostalgia involved with this because it is an old franchise being revived. And it does, Barman R, Super Barman R, does look like a really solid throwback to the old Barman games. It has the top-down view, that like the grid that you fight on, 
Although for some reason I can't quite figure out. It's now slightly angled and zooms in and out. But whatever. It's mostly the we'll same. Show grid. off the polygonal models. I guess. And there's there's a 50 stage single player story mode in there, which has co-op throughout, which is kind of cool. Although honestly, like the whole way the single player is set up is you're doing different tasks and completing different challenges. Honestly, I kind of wish instead of just being like standard barman with tasks you complete in its grid, they went the barman hero, barman 64 route, where it was like barman mixed with a 3D platformer. So it was still the top down view, but you weren't in the grid. You're actually out exploring worlds and throwing bombs and stuff. But that's uh, right. I remember that you game like was that? kind of, I mean, it was fun, but I remember that being kind of, being a little annoying sometimes because of that. I mean, it was I don't know. I mean, I don't really want to falter for that because at the end of the day, we ended up just playing a more multiplayer. See, as an only child <laughs> with no friends, now I had friends, but um, I swear I had friends. But uh, yeah, I did a lot of the single player Bomberman Hero and I, N64, and I, I really liked how they did that. But yeah. but yeah, I get, I get, yeah, if you could play that or multiplayer, Bomberman's always the go to game for multiplayer. Yeah, and I'll go with that. I mean, we still play the Bomberman 78 that we got for the Wii U and I guess the Wii through the. 78? 87? 92? Bomber... 94? I mean, no, it's definitely... Bomberman wasn't a... Maybe it's <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. No, then I guess it has to be 92. It is 90. The one with the kangaroos, right? They're definitely not the kangaroos. Oh, right? that's the Saturn one. Never mind. This one was for TurboGrafx-16. Okay, definitely not 878 and definitely not 87. Possibly. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll look it up. We well, have either way, like that one, Um, we literally just play it for multiplayer and we get to play with up to five people with the classic controller pros and wiimotes and it's always a blast no pun intended mm-hmm. barman 93 all right so i mean i guess three is five. half is like half of the shape of an eight so you're not horrible well, without by six than one and nine is kind of like a seven with an extra little tail on the on the under part so you're you're sort of there yeah so you're off a little bomberman but... year at the end <laughs> barman that year but uh yeah it, it does look cool and it seems like the eight player stuff is really well thought out for this one because um there's first of all you can do it with any sort of assortment of controllers, but there's also supposedly download play. Konami kind of said this in a tweet. Like, so I was like, oh, can you do one cartridge download play? And they're like, yes. But Nintendo and nobody else has confirmed this is a thing yet. It's just a tweet. So I assume since it's from Konami, it's real. Who knows? Either way, there is online multiplayer for eight people, offline multi- multiplayer for eight people. It's being developed by uh, Hudson employees that now work at Konami, so it's actually legacy Bomberman people. So it's a legit Bomberman game. And beyond just the fun nostalgia, I don't know, I think it has... Bomberman, I think, has some significance as a Switch launch title, because it's one of the only few games available day and date with the system that um, new. <laughs> is, foca- is new and is focused on multiplayer. The only other one I can think of is 1-2-Switch, that captures the whole, like, local multiplayer, like, that's what Nintendo's known for vibe. Like, there's only Switch, there's only this, at least at least until uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe six weeks later. But for that initial window, I got exclusive new game, it's super relevant to anyone buying a Switch at the time because they might want to show off the Switch or use the Joy-Cons in some way. So I think it could actually do pretty well. And, of course, it resonates with Nintendo fans because it's Bomberman. So I think it could actually do pretty well, and I think that's kind of why Nintendo chose to collaborate with Konami and make things happen. Apparently, it's a joint effort. Like, Konami's doing it, but Nintendo came to them and said, hey, what if you brought back Bomberman? We think it makes sense for this console, and then sure enough, you're <laughs> Let me get the grid so. reboot. People are like, no, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> we mean real Barman. Please don't get keep those zeros out of here. We mean real Barman. Yeah. yeah so considering it's... we still don't really know how the virtual console is going to work and whether I'll even be able to get my Barman ninety two again, it is nice Three. to have ninety three. We just discussed this. It's ninety three. <laughs> Whatever. It probably came out in ninety two somewhere. No, I don't think it's like a car where it comes out the year before. But <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, did you get the ninety three model Barman? No, nah, I'm stuck with the ninety one Barman with the with the uh, the roll up windows. Well, 
I mean, FIFA games kind of do that. Sports games do that in time with the season, so the championship of the sports game matches. Mm. Like, Madden 16 comes out in 15, so when the championship rolls around, it's in 16. Huh. Either way. Bom- Bomberman Bom- doesn't have a real-life Bom- championship. Yeah. Bom- Bomberman, you're at the end. Is it going to be out there day one? So I, No, it won't. Yeah. I know, so, so I'm definitely glad that we actually have a replacement that I guess hopefully should... Well, I'm sure we'll be superior to that one. So and you know what's yeah. super nice about uh, Barman being there day and date as an exclusive? It's going to sell well, and that means Barman's going to come back. Like, if you're a launch tile at a, for a system, and you're one of only five or seven or eight or whatever, and not only that, but you're a boxed physical launch tile, which half of them ah, aren't. It was released in 1982. No way. Yep. In Japan or America? Um, released December 11, 1982. Oh, okay, so three weeks, but all right, you're right. Well, so I took I'm you, still technically wrong, but... You're wrong, but you were less wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, what I was going to say is, when you're one of five box games available day one with the Switch, and you have that really cool box art, and you have its emblem on there, it's like, hey, check it out, it's our anniversary year, even though it's the 33rd anniversary, which is not a year anyone celebrates for anything, but they are. Like, if you do all that, you're going to get extra attention, you're going to sell well. So this is actually, I think, the comeback mm-hmm. of Barman as a thing, not just mm-hmm. one game Also with the price drop. But... Yeah, yeah, and there's also the pricing where it went from 60 to 50 to 40 in the span of like a week. And some people are saying 40 is still too much. I don't think that's that unreasonable. That's like budget price for a new game. I think game. that's fair. I, I mean, think that's for fair. what I'm pretty sure I'll have, and how long I'm, I know we're going to be playing it. Yeah, and also... And this is definitely a game I'm going to get digital, just because of the multiplayer aspect. Oh, see, I'm getting... I, I want physical, because I want that cool box. I know the box is The cool, box is but, so nice. But I have to commit to myself to just get my multiplayer games digitally and my single player campaign games physically that that's fair just because keep it easy then if you take the switch out and about and you go to a rooftop yeah. party and hang out with karen then uh you know meme extraordinaire karen then uh you have all your games i mean it's not even for going out just whenever we switch between games on the wii u like there's many times we're like why isn't smash Bros already in here or why is something else yeah, yeah. you know what we should do you said the word switch one episode. I don't know when, but we should have the switch no. click play every time we say the I, word I and lose so times all in, our listeners. I've done enough times on YouTube already. <laughs> yeah, it has been. It has been. Even with interviews with Reggie and stuff. People really need to switch it up. Yeah, they need to switch over to a new sound or something. Yeah. Yeah. I just put it in reverse or something. Oh, we're back to Barman being a car <laughs> in reverse. Uh, but yeah, so that's one game of nostalgic value that's kind of switched that we're both really excited for. Um, you mean there's more? There is more. There's actually a lot. They're really playing up the nostalgia thing. Now, this one's more up your alley than mine, but there's also the return of Street Fighter 2 in the form of Ultra Street Fighter 2, the final challenger. And Angel, I know you're... Isn't Challengers? Challengers, you're right, because there are two. I know you're the bigger fan. And the new fight... So this is more relevant to you than me, but the new fires that you just mentioned... Evil Ryu, Violent Ken. Are they just reskins? Of... Violent Ken. <laughs> yeah, that's such a weird name. <laughs> angry Ken. Yeah, it's not even angry. It's violent. Yeah. Like, he doesn't even have emotion. He's I mean, just he's already actions. violent because he's into They're all violent. Fighting. It's a yeah. fighting game. They're street fighting. <laughs> but I guess it's to say he fights with honor before and now he's Now he's just violent. a vicious machine, a killing machine. But anyway, what's the what do these characters actually mean? Are they anything significant? I mean, it's more... From what you know. It's, it's more of a lore thing. Okay. And... There is like a story there to follow if you care about that, and there is a reason for Evil Ryu because Ryu, he uses his some um, Shoryukens and he taps into a power, and if it, he if he lets him, if he lets it consume him, he turns evil. So it, in terms of actual fighting style, they're basically the same. Just close. no, they they, they they are they, different. Yeah, they have okay. some they have some significant move changes. Like um, Ken has like a like a roll, like he, he has like a run. I mean, little things like that. Like it, it doesn't seem like much to, I guess, a casual player, but. For someone that's playing a lot of fighting games, these little things make a huge difference. Sure. 
I mean, Ryu has like a few extra moves that like let him like phase through people and do whatever Akuma does, where he does like the raging demon. So it actually is kind of a significant no, yeah, they're, they're, deal. They're similar but different. It's like gotcha. um, it's like the, uh, the comparison Doctor Mario versus Mario, or Marth versus Lucina versus uh, some it, other fire. It'd Emma be more like um, it'd be more like Link versus Toon Link. Ah, they there have, is something I can relate to as Link Toon Link being my favorite because they have identical moves. Like they both throw boomerangs. They both throw, but but, as, it, but as you know, like they, they feel different. pretty different. Interesting. Yeah. So there's actually reason to pick this up besides the fact that. It's a Street Fighter. Almost research. like Ryu to Ken, because I mean, the, those sure. characters are already kind of, yeah, yeah, somewhat similar. Or Ryu to Akuma, or Ryu to Dan. I mean, I they to... kind of got carried away with the Shoto right. fighters. I, I do have to give Capcom credit. Even if it was just these two characters, it sounds like this is worth a pickup. But they're actually, at least at like a bunch of parts, they're actually adding a fair amount of stuff here. So they're, they, they haven't fully yeah, detailed it, it everything. It sounds like they're really trying, trying with this one. Yeah. I mean, compared to. I mean, the. This game, um, at first glance, looks like Ultra Street Fighter 2 HD Remix. It's the same actual um, artwork, hand-drawn yeah. artwork. If you choose the non-pixel mode, it is lifted from the, two th- from the yeah, HD Remix. By, it's literally the same. Drawn by Udon, the people that make the, the comics and the yeah. skateboards that always got. Oh, yeah. But I remember that game didn't really get a lot of high praise in the beginning. I think it was... It has something to do with like the patches and how they updated it mm-hmm. and... Uh, but this one, um, based on people that didn't that had some beef with the original one, seem to really like this one. Not be- oh, that's good. I don't really know exactly why, because I mean, even I'm not as on that level of Street Fighter. Like I'm definitely more of a, I'm a fan of the series and I'll play them, but I'm right. definitely no. And you're for sure picking it up. I'm, right? I'm definitely no Justin Wong. Um, yeah, definitely. So there's actually some cool online. Do you know about all the online stuff they're doing? It's not, I think they've done it before in Street Fighter, but I just love the concept of the uh, arcade standby mode. Oh yeah, that's so cool. So basically, for those yeah, that, who don't that's know, been a yeah, it's been a standard. In yeah, even in ones, um, but... yeah, the only games we've been able to experience that on in um, in a Capcom game, I guess, is Tatsunoko versus Capcom. They did. Oh yeah, they did have that. Yeah. yeah. But for those who don't know what we're talking about, because somewhere uh, or someone out there is like, what? Oh yeah, the yeah, 3DS. You're playing arcade one, then all of them like, you have a new challenge. Yeah. So you're going through single player against the CPU, and it'll just drop in online people at random, as if it's simulating, obviously, being in an arcade, which is a yeah. really cool concept. But of course, on top of that, they also have modes to play with strangers, a custom rule battle mode, um, start your own match, play against friends, all the usual works. The thing is, they're teasing other things, and these other things keep getting my attention. There is one thing they showed in the trailer. If you're watching the trailer, I don't know if it's a cutscene they're showing or a tease of something bigger. They're showing all the 2D fighting. They're showing HD, you know, hand-drawn. They're showing pixel art. You can toggle between the two as much as you want. Then, in the last couple seconds of the trailer, they show, for literally a second, an over-the-shoulder 3D battle. Is that a cutscene? Is that a mode they're building? Is there anything like that in a Street Fighter game that they could just port over? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, the only over-the-shoulder 3D battle I remember was from Ultra Street Fighter 4 they... on the 3DS, because that one literally had a 3D mode. It's that. Where you it looks like that. I remember that now that you mention it. And it looks... Are you pulling up the trailer now? <laughs> yeah. You don't know what I'm talking about? Let me... Yep. It looks... It's literally in the last second, and I don't know what that is, but it sounds like this game, to some extent, is Capcom going, okay, we're going to take some of the stuff we already have and compile it into a new, a new, like, improved experience. So if they have all the 2D stuff and they're putting it in there... I wonder how difficult it is for them to put that 3D thing in because they're definitely showing the footage. And I'm buying you time while you search for it right now by really, basically saying I have, all this. But I, I, I have a feeling that's going to be just um, a cutscene thing. It looked like... Like, why would they throw that in for a split second? That's what threw me off. It's in the last, like, couple seconds. All right, I'll just get to it. I, I, it, Everyone, you are listening live to someone watching a video. This 
is where the random and random Nintendo truly comes into this play. This is the closest I would have done, I guess, to a live reaction. Cause I'm, yeah. Oh, I, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I don't do reactions. We've never videos. done that. You don't do reactions. Well, period. yeah, I don't really they're have very yeah. flat. They're, they're, all very, they're very internal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could have, like, a reaction yeah. video and then just, um, like, with a. Like, narrate my thoughts, I guess. You're the screams internally person embodied in, like, an actual... Or the screams internally meme embodied in an actual person. But do you... Do you see... Oh, you're still at the beginning. No, Come on, now. Take forever. I forget it. No, no, no. Here, I'll get you well, to it. I, I'm already on it. No, I'll get you to it. I know how to use a phone. Oh, and you guys get to listen to the sounds? Oh, this is great. All right, skipping it, but that thing. So, anyway, Street Fire, yeah, pretty cool. No, but I am noticing a trend actually with all this like old '90s games coming back, and I suspect Nintendo's trying to play up the '90s nostalgia that's currently in right now. I mean, you got Barman, you got Street Fire. I don't think that's a coincidence that they're both out around launch. I also don't think some of the other games we're gonna talk about, namely stuff like Ukulele, which is sort of the spiritual successor to the '90s platformers of Banjo Kazooie and whatnot. And whatnot. I don't think it's a coincidence that all three of these gonna be there once. I, I'm buying I, you time. I skipped to the last few seconds and I did not see. Oh, any... you will right there. Oh, that. What is that? It looks like Punch Out, actually. Yeah, that. So what is that? I do remember seeing that. That I don't know why they did this, but for whatever reason, that's a cutscene from Street Fighter Five Story Mode. What? My whole dream of hanging over I'm the shoulder, mistaken, crazy that... cool gameplay. Just yeah, a if, if I'm not mistaken, that's a cutscene from Street Fighter Five Story Mode. Why that... is that there? I have no idea. I guess it's too. I don't know. But why'd they sneak? Everything else is 2D maybe except that. Maybe they're splicing in cutscenes from that story mode to try to make it look modern? I don't know. Almost goes back to the idea that this is just a hodgepodge of other Street Fighter games put together and cleaned up. Yeah, but that's yeah, that's not... Oh, well, that's a bit of a bummer. But either way... That's not over, that was first person. I said first person. Oh, you're right. Yeah, you it said first person. person. You're right. I misremembered. Either way, Street Fighter without that mode is still cool for you, I assume. Yeah, it'll be fun. It should be out sometime sooner rather than later is basically all they're saying. It sounds like before summer, but they haven't given it a hard more date. more fuel for the... I guess more things to use that Hori, or I forgot who's making a fight stick for Hori. the Switch. Hori. Yeah. Hori makes all of them. Next on the list... Yep. Uh, is, it's weird just doing a list like this. We don't usually do this. But next on the list is uh, one that I want to talk about more, which is ukulele. So we've actually talked about ukulele a fair amount on the show over the years since this kickstarter started and like, like i said it also plays into this whole idea of like this wave of nostalgic gaming coming back with switch and uh from the start when we first talked about it, it was a wii u game and i was excited for it not just because it was um this kind of 3d banjo kazooie style game but it was made from the people who made banjo kazooie and tui which i love so much on the n64 and did you beat it i i got to the final boss of kazooie and then, I figured that's during the age that you would. So here we go. I was at the final boss in Banjo-Kazooie. I go back to my save file. I start the file. And I was like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, yeah I want to start. It, it was easy to delete files in Yeah, game. and then guess what? I lost all my progress yeah, and I never played it that's again. That's exactly what happened to Elvis. Yeah, and I never played it again. That was... But so Platonic, assuming they... on an emulator. I don't know. I've mentioned before on the podcast. No, I did play on an emulator, but you played it in class in college, I remember. Yeah. I was sitting right next to you watching <laughs> you play. But Platonic hopefully will, A, make uh, the menus a little easier to not delete things, and, or a little harder to delete things, and B, uh, they're processing a game and everything that's... Well, what did they do for nostalgic sake? Well, then, well played if I end up deleting it. I mean, if that's the goal they're going for. But more point-wise, yeah, is this game is basically everything but Banjo in name, and uh, based on what we've seen at this point, it does look like they're delivering on that process. The yeah. game's gone gold on Xbox. It just literally could have been Banjo-Kazooie traveling to a different continent Yeah, and then turning into... 
different animals. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it it looks really good, and they've since announced that there's gonna be. You um, could pretend it's an in-universe, like extended universe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, they've also announced local multiplayer, which is the new thing I wanted to bring up. Um, there's eight little individual local, local multiplayer mini games which have you do foot races and compete to stay on a stage as pieces fall away kind of like that mario party mini game or like do a top down 90s remember those monster truck racers or off-road racers where it was like top down and they're on a course you can see the whole course and it's like super slip and slide yeah like pro-am or yeah like pro-am they have one of those built into this so it's like all these random little games thrown in there yeah. and then does have a score tech mode for people with no friends as they put it indeed yeah so me why is there this running joke of me having no friends these last couple episodes? It's as if reality is. I mean, what? Well, you brought that on yourself right now. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I know, I'm, I did, I'm just literally saying what. Um, I know. Ret- and I do retro, retro, retro. You see, it's like retro with an X. That's what I said. Retro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's anyway, they're adding all that. But the thing that caught my eye that feels like such a perfect fit for Switch is two-player co-op throughout the entire game, and it takes a cue from Mario Galaxy, where uh, one player is controlling uh, ukulele. The other player's controlling what's called the B team, which is possibly the best pun in a very long time because it's a bunch of Bs on a team, but they're also the B team to your A team. And uh, they fly, you can fly them around, collect items, hold enemies back, that sort of thing. It's very much like being player two in Mario Galaxy. And on the Switch, you have two controllers baked in when you get the Switch. So in theory, if Playtonic uh, was smart, they would let you hand off a Joy-Con to someone to be team, and then you just use simple controls to be. You appeared to struggle saying that sentence. I did. I don't know why. I think I lost my thought halfway through, <laughs> and then I got it back. Yeah. But uh, that does, <laughs> this does all bring up one trouble spot with ukulele, because I was saying it's great for the Switch, and that's the problem. Is the trouble is its existence on the Switch right now, which is sort of up in the air. So I'm a backer of the Wii U version since it was first announced, and uh, as we talked about before, that was canceled due to lack of interest of Wii U because the thing's dead in the water. I thought they said it was impossible. Uh, yeah, they said it was due to technical issues, but it's a little too convenient. Uh, in its place, backers now get to choose a digital copy of the Switch version, so we now have that confirmed. But the way they keep wearing their messages, it sounds like we we don't really know when it's happening or how it's happening. Like They keep saying we're working with Nintendo and hope to have news soon, but yet they're also pledging to let you get a Switch version. So I'm not sure what they're working on with Nintendo to have news about unless it's a release date. So but... it's almost the same situation as when they were letting people play for a Wii U version. They're just saying, I'm pretty sure we could do it. Well, Wii they don't U, know they, they were do. doing it. They had in development for Wii U, and then they Well, yeah, but then it, it didn't yeah. work out. So it's kind of like that. But what it sounds like is the case currently is if it comes to Wii U, when it comes to Wii U, it's only going to be digital on Wii U. All the other versions have physical copies. Wii U, or I mean, sorry, not Wii U, Switch. For now, Switch will only be digital, which for me is fine as a backer, but... For those who may have wanted a physical copy, that might be a little hard to do. Regardless, it's coming to Switch. That's all I feel like I need to say. And it promises to be a pretty meaty game. It's polished looking. It's good looking. And it's filling a 3D platformer void up until uh, Mario Odyssey comes out, which is a plus. Because that's addressing a genre that simply isn't there on well, Switch. Well, assuming it comes out I think in time for her. I think it'll come. All they have to do is port it over. I can't imagine it being that hard. That's true. I mean, fine, they did say fine. Let's say, okay, you know what? Let's not say, that the hardware is supposed to be really easy to port. Stuff, yeah. So. Now, let's say you're right. Let's say it does take a while. We have a different game, a different 3D platform that was just announced that could fill that void and is going to fill that void sometime in March or April. They're saying sometime in first quarter of 2017, which technically ends in March. Um, and that is Snake Pass from Sumo Digital. Now, Sumo Digital may not be a familiar name to very many people, but you probably know their work as the guys behind Sonic and All Stars Racing Transformed from the Wii U launch, Wii 
talked up that game pretty heavily here on the show back in the day. You loved it, if I remember correctly, yeah. and still do. I still think. do, yeah. More than Mark Critic. Whoa! I said that before. Whoa. I think Ooh, I think he's throwing down the gauntlet there. Really? I, I I think it's a much better made game, overall. Wow. The only difference is that more people play Mario Kart 8 and mm-hmm. the Phantom Jet. And the frame rate in Mario Kart 8 is a lot better. But other, other than that, um, yeah, I would say Sonic Alter 3 thing is a way, way more interesting game. I'll say that. Also. Just because of the transforming mechanic? Or like what makes you... what The transformation where, where mechanic, <laughs> the, the drifting mechanic, just how different it is in general from regular Mario Kart. Mario Kart 7 to Mario Kart 8 was pretty much the same it was way too similar and i feel like the gravity effect didn't really add anything significant well the gravity effect all. is funny because the gravity effect was literally nintendo going like we'll make the backgrounds look upside down while you race and that was it that's, that's like in exactly. replays like, it looks cool like, but... it, it just feels like mark her 7 hd yeah so by that time it was just like it, it was just design. more of the same mark sonic and also the racing transform felt like an actual this is like what i would have expected like nintendo to do like an actual like evolution of mario kart right. which they ended up doing and they didn't and this game was just much it was just much better it felt more competitive and it also felt way more balanced that game was way more mm. skill-based like you i mean they have a blue shell equivalent but they give you ways to dodge it and stuff like that that are actually really cool but yeah it's just a shame that it didn't make it it's just the smash brothers of, of sega which is yeah it really cool. was i'll give it that but but yeah so sumo the guys who did that. I mean, I guess if, if you like Sonic uh, Racing Transform more than you like Mario Kart, you may be really interested in their next project because it's kind of another unique riff on a traditional genre. It's called Snake Pass. It's a 3D platformer, but you control a snake, and he doesn't just walk. He slithers and climbs and wraps around things and use those quote-unquote snake physics to coil and climb and whatnot your way through 15 different levels, four different worlds. So it's a smaller game, but visually... It looks like a rare game. It looks like a companion game to Ukulele. So if Ukulele is delayed, at least you have Snake Pass. And if Ukulele comes out, at least you still have Snake Pass for even more. Either way, you got Snake Pass. But it actually looks really cool. I don't know if you've watched any footage of it. Yeah, I've but... watched um, two trailers. I saw the original one thinking it was oh, the, the most recent trailer. <laughs> and I mean, I'm like, all right, this looks cool. And then I saw the newer trailer. I'm like, whoa, it actually looks way different. I mean, it's yeah. the same idea. It looks, but... it looks polished. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it kind of, the whole game kind of reminds me of, like, this came out of nowhere, by the way. Yeah. Like, I had no idea this thing was a thing. And then last week, it's announced for Switch. I'm like, what is this? I'm like, whoa, this actually looks pretty compelling. I'll give this snake a pass. Well, no, that means you'd skip it. Nice try. A, like a pass. Like, uh, like a, pa- a passing grade. A passing grade. grade. Uh, you're yeah. just saying give a pass means you are laying a pass. Well, anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, to me, it kind of looks like a weird... It's like DK King of Swing turned 3D with Octodad, like, wa- like you know motion going on because octodad i mean granted octodad was a nightmare to control which is kind of the purpose he has eight he has eight tentacles and you need to be able to harness them all while you're walking but um this kind of has that same sort of like loosey-goosey writhing writhing's not word uh control for the snake but it seems a little more confined to set motions which i guess is a plus but uh yeah the whole thing is very kind of reminds me of dk king and swing if you like turned it 90 degrees and made it into the screen I don't know what the little bird that follows him around does. So you, you control this snake, and there's a bird that hovers around him. It looks like a key parts. So the bird will help lift up the tail of the snake to progress forward. I don't know if that's a button. I don't know if that's automatic. But you control him in the at least the snake. And it looks pretty cool. There's really not much else to say except it's out first course. So given their pedigree, given your love of All Stars and Transform, which is really fun, I I think it's on both our radars, probably. I would say so. That sounds like a fair... That's not the only... Uh, 
surprise announcement we got that suddenly made our list. This one, I don't know if you want to talk about more, but yeah, I, remember, I actually remember mentioning on that you the podcast a while ago that um, ever since I got to play the Jack, yeah, the Jackbox, I think it was Party Pack the number Jackbox two pack. specifically on the PS4. I was like, wow, this game is really fun, and it sounds like. I mean, it, it felt like something that'd be perfect for the Switch or just for Nintendo in general. That yeah. kind of local multiplayer, gamepad, randomness. And and now the third one yeah, and it got is announced. confirmed for the Switch. So it's like, wow, that's awesome. It's funny because if you look at like the games we just talked about, like Ukulele or Snake Pass, it's like, oh. A definite download game. Oh, yeah, yeah. But if you look at like uh, Ukulele or Snake Pass, it's like, oh, these games are clearly ca- catering to like fans of platforms that will buy a Switch or fans of that certain town game. And then there's like... Barman and One Two Switch, which is like the multiplayer one, and then Jackbox Party Pack Three is announced. You're like, oh, this is totally going to that specific person that buys those games. Like, it's so funny how you could see like the little tribes of different types of Nintendo games forming with these third party releases. But yeah, it looks really cool. It um, so if you don't know Jackbox, it's from the developers hmm, of you. Don't know Jack. That's what I was getting at. You stole my joke. Yeah, if you don't know Jackbox, it's from the developers of you don't know Jack. Uh, and essentially, you get a whole bunch of different mini games. It, I don't know if you want to explain it any better, but you have a whole bunch of different mini games. You play them. There's like an online audience component. There's you don't even need to have controllers for people. You just have them log into a website on their phone or their tablet or their laptop, and then they can compete in your game on your console locally. Yeah. So you have this code, and I mean, I the general use is um you have the people on your couch. They all enter this code onto the website on their smartphones or smart device, and then then that's just their controller. But if you're streaming, you could, in theory, put that code up and have and just play with anyone around the world. And, I mean, just to give you an example of some of the games, there's one called, um, actually, I forgot what it's called, but it's basically like Pictionary. The only difference is that um, someone gets a description and they do their best to draw that. And then, and then later on the screen, everyone is showing your drawing without the description and they have to describe it as best as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And then... Is that one in this, in Party Pack 3? I don't know if it is, but I mean, uh, those are like the type, the type of games, game. yeah. Yeah, like, uh, why Soft Pride Pack 3 is, it's like a mix of, like, there's a couple of trivia games, there's one about, like, uh... I hope the regular, you don't know Jack trivia game is there, because it's, one... it's not, but in its place oh. is something called Trivia Murder something. Basically, it's like a trivia game, but it's themed around murder, so if you don't get the questions right, you're literally murdered. Hmm. Um, and there's, like, a game about, like, coming up with funny quips, there's one where you design a t-shirt, and there's, like, a battle of which t-shirt's better. Uh, I'm trying to remember what else there was. There's some, like, data manipulation one... Um, yeah, there's like it's a bunch of different stuff. Uh, oh, there's yeah, I think I told you this. I said the quip one already. Yeah, I hope they bring back the other two, but it's not the. They cause you it as DLC. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but yeah, I think I think this this game Jackbox and One Two Switch are like made to be used out in the world with the Switch. Like these games in particular, I think I honestly think the developers of Jackbox were like, huh, people are gonna maybe take One Two Switch to a party because the console obviously could be picked up and taken somewhere. They're not going to bring all these controllers necessarily. One, two, switch one requires two. What if we just like say, hey, when you're playing one, two, switch at party, assuming it even does well, uh, you can also play Jackbox Party Pack 3. Look, you mm-hmm. only need one, mm-hmm. you switch, and just everyone busts out Watch Jackbox be the game that actually promotes one, two, switch. Like, oh, it, you're already playing Jackbox, and you already have those yeah, two controllers because like, you need the Joy-Con. So. It just makes it such a logical thing for something like the Switch that you could take anywhere to have a game where anyone with any device can just hop into the game. You don't need to carry seven joy cons or whatever with you it's it's really convenient so I, I think i think it could do quite well it has all the ingredients it needs for success so i guess time will tell there's no set date yet so who knows but i assume you're for sure getting it day one as our go-to party host in our group we'll see oh okay after you gushed about it. all right 
Um, Jackbox is actually, to sort of switch to the next games on our list, Jack- Jackbox is actually part of this growing trend in Switch announcements that I think really started with Nicholas or Nicalis, however you want to say it, which is ports of already established games that either are enhanced by the fact that Switch is portable or just have enough new content to make it worth buying a second time. So it's happening with a lot of indie games right now, but it's really uh, Nicholas or Nicholas, however you say it, that was first out the gate. They have Binding of Isaac Afterbirth Plus coming on launch day. Uh, they have Red Out, which is their futuristic racer, coming sometime in the spring. Plus, yet to be confirmed. Uh, well, it's confirmed. Yet to be dated, Other but confirmed. One. Cave Stories 1001 Spikes are also going to be available on the eShop for Switch, it sounds like. Yep. So we should probably start with the one that I know you're for sure getting. Uh, Binding of Isaac. <laughs> I can't talk today. Binding of Isaac Afterbirth Plus. Plus, yeah. So, so, this, so this game includes Binding of Isaac Rebirth, Binding of Isaac Afterbirth, and Binding of Isaac Afterbirth Plus. So what is the plus? What are what do they keep adding? That like, because the game is randomly generated, right? It's it's, it's generated yeah. as you go. It's procedurally generated. Yeah, but it's super so beefy. How... I mean, there's more bosses. There's more. Is there new weapons? New characters? New, yeah, new items, oh, okay. new bosses, more characters, more challenges. So it's just stacking. Yeah, except um, what makes I guess the plus more significant. I not I'm not exactly sure how it would work on the Switch, but I know on Steam, the plus version was more about the fact that Edmund McMillan, the guy that made this game, and Tyrone, the people in the college, they're like, all right, we already got everything we wanted to put in this game. Now let's just embrace fan mods. Mm-hmm. So they're like every month. I think they're gonna start releasing these um booster packs of just fan created mods and just let you so are they, pu- are they pushing them out on their own server because in theory that means it could come to switch no, yeah, they're, they're, versus like people plug in well, well that's it there are, the, these booster packs are things that they're going to push out okay and but on top of that you could download whatever mod anyone comes up with from like the steam workshop which i guess you can't do on switch, yeah but, i imagine that part won't work but they are curating these mods that the ones that they feel like should get more recognition the ones that really impress them like someone created a whole mod of pokemon someone created a whole mod of like just different developers or YouTube stuff, and I don't know. It's it's pretty crazy, and there's definitely a lot. Well, that's actually of that pretty game. cool. Yeah, that see that makes it worth a plus. Yeah, I which guess. is kind of where I mean, Super Meat Boy went through the same route. It had like an updated world, and then at the end, like once they were done with the game, they just let it loose. Like, all right, here is how you make the game, and you just make your own levels. Right. So, so and I are you going physical or digital on that one? Because physical. The first run comes with a special extra in the box that they won't say. Oh, uh, Obis is actually the one getting it, and he got uh, it physical because of the extra thing. Whatever. And the what box. is the thing? Do we know what the thing is? Um, we don't know what the thing is, but I mean, he has like I think over 100 hours on Afterbirth Plus on Steam, so I don't know if he's gonna play the Switch version much, except like just to get the the thing, the thing, whatever the thing is. You know, the thing's gonna be like a sticker. Yeah, he also <laughs> has it on 3DS, so I mean, he's has pretty much every well, version of Binding of Isaac. he's a huge fan of it, so that makes yeah, sense. Specifically. I, I mean, I really like it. I played a ton of the original Binding of Isaac before it was called Rebirth, just regular Binding of Isaac. Yeah. And yeah, I guess like time just kind of slipped past me when they started making the Rebirth, because the first one was Flash animated, and this one has like pixel graphics, mm-hmm. and it also has a completely different soundtrack, but yeah, it's definitely a game worth checking out, especially if you like... Like top down, like Zelda. Dun- Zel- yeah, it's basically Zelda dungeons at random, super gory. Yeah, and with crazy hard bosses and everything. yeah, it, it's like yeah, it's you could also describe it as like a twin stick shooter. Oh, that's a good, but with one stick, or do you use two? Well, essentially, because like one, 
with one like the up down left right you're moving your your character i mean with wafd the gun spin freely of the or the weapons well, yeah freely? that's it yeah because oh. yeah because you can walk yeah because you can walk yeah. in one direction and shoot right oh, behind that, you that, that's definitely a twin yeah the arrow shoot and wafd moves you gotcha and then you have your pickups and bombs and whatever you know it's funny because their other game the one i'm more interested in red out which is futuristic racer also is twin stick but not a shooter it's a twin stick racer so I mean, I've said it on the show before. I'm a sucker for um, future futurist. I cannot talk today. Wow, it's hard to do a podcast when you can't talk. Uh, I'm a, uh, I'm a fan of futuristic racing. I'm, like, I'm a fan of talking. And... I'm a fan of talking, but I can't. It's like my life has no meaning. No, I'm a fan of futuristic racers. Is what I was trying to say, and uh, I feel like a fast racing Neo on Wii U was kind of like the F Zero we didn't get. Red Out, at least in terms of its ship design, seems to be the spiritual successor of Wipeout. Now, the difference is, and I, and I kind of already said this, the main difference between Fast and Red Out is uh, Fast Racing Neo, which is now coming to Switch as Fast Racing, or Fast Remix, um, you know, standard controls, one stick to move, but Red Out, like I started to say, is actually a dual stick setup. So how it works is one Joy-Con, you move the stick to go left and right, and the other Joy-Con controls your pitch and yawn of the ship, so you can accelerate and decelerate, depending, like there's a verticality in the stages, hills and whatnot. And you need to time your acceleration and deceleration, deceleration with uh, what the hills are, you know, Ooh, your vertical movement. So it's a new spin on Because, like, the big thing with uh, fast was basically polarity. Like, oh, you need the same color to match. Yeah, the boost. Yeah, the yeah. boost has to be orange the color Orange coming up, turn your ship orange. Yeah, blue, blue is coming up, up make it blue. And this one's all about, again, you have to watch the course, but this one's about the course's shapes and twists and turns and stuff. So it's a different approach to the same idea. Makes me feel like they both could technically live in the Switch early life of the Switch and do decently. And Too Fast Remix's credit, the team at Shine's actually going pretty far with this one. They're really trying to make it stand out from the Wii U version in a lot of ways. It's now 60 frames, 1080p, even with four players when you play on the dock. Uh, it offers new visual effects. There's apparently nearly double the amount of content in the game, which I assume means tracks and courses. And perhaps coolest of all, it has HD rumble built in. So... Where your ship is hit by opponent ships as you race will rumble in a corresponding spot on your controller specifically. Mm. Which is actually pretty awesome. In concept, at least. So, uh, that almost made me say, like, I guess I could double dip, but I already own... Okay. (laughs) But I don't know... That way we can actually have a comparison. I guess, but it's just like... I feel like unlike some other genres... Even with these differences, you're well, still you moving forward Jason. into the screen at a high speed in a setting of the year 3026 or something. Like, it's still kind of the same game. One's just you move with two sticks, and one's just you move with one stick, but there's colors. I don't know. I'm leaning more towards Red Out just because I already had Neo, but they both are catching my eye. I mean, am I crazy for thinking more so than other genres? These are kind of still awfully similar. Well, I mean, that makes perfectly yeah, that makes perfect sense. Because, I, mean, I mean, some genres you look like a fighting genre. I think you were making this point to me the other day when we were talking about, like, Street Fighter and stuff. Like, fighting games could be very different. Street Fighter versus Smash are very different. Well, yeah, I mean, like, but it, it, if I was in your situation, like, let's say, like, I had just picked up, like, let's say Ultra Street Fighter 4, I mean, Ultra Street Fighter 2 HD Remix came out two years ago as opposed to sure. however long So same as Smash, basically. Yeah, it's like, like, oh, I just got this one. Like, I don't, like, this one's a little bit different, but they're kind of the same. I'd rather just get, like, a different 2D fighter. Because, I mean, like, if, like, let's say, um... Yeah, what was that game? Oh, it's Skullgirls. Let's say Skullgirls was coming out on Switch. It's yep. not announced. Blaze Blue is, though. I mean, it probably is. <laughs> yeah. But, um, like, if Skullgirls, like, side-by-side Skullgirls and Street Fighter are pretty similar. I mean, mm-hmm. you're both jumping on a plane, you're throwing punches at each other, but mechanically they're different. So, 
You know, it's like I'd probably sure. get small One growth just because I have less experience with that Which game. Which is why I'm leaning towards red out because I have yeah. fast racing. Same, I mean, and same thing with you. Like I'm definitely, I'm definitely getting red out just because for that, just for that reason, just to right. experience a Diversify. different type of. But they both. Know, Look like awesome racing games, which is fine. Cause I mean, maybe in the future you could get fast racing RMX once it's like cheaper. And you've already I'm had your sure it's remix. Oh, I guess yeah, RMX. <laughs> once you're like uh, done with, I mean, once you've had your fill and it's been some time, you're like, you know what, I want to revisit. That's true. Nothing stopped me from doing it. It's it's funny that we went from like as Nintendo system owners, man, there's no good futuristic racers. Where where's our F Zero at? To oh man, now we got two. What do we do? <laughs> like amazing. It's still like an F Zero. What? I mean, yeah, I'd still like an F Zero. I mean, that well, game had but... full on car combat without items, which made it really cool. Yeah, that's true. Well, neither of these games seem to have items either. Well, I don't know about Red Out, but racing, Fast Racing Neo does not have items, does it? Fast Racing Neo did not. Yeah, and I don't, and think, I don't, I don't think Red Out does. I don't think Red Out does. Yeah, Wipeout did. It had Wipeout missiles did. and everything. It was like Mario Kart and F-Zero. Wipeout was Vigilante 8 if Vigilante 8 was sent through a Hyperloop, basically. Like, that's pretty much what it was. But, Something and... I really appreciate about that game is that it actually let you play your own music. That's true. That was really cool. That's true. A feature that I feel should be in more games. You know, the Wii actually could do that. Excite Truck, the original Excite Truck, you can put music on an SD card and play it while racing. Yeah. They right. never use that feature besides I, I, outside of Excite Truck and Endless Ocean. I feel like more games need to do that, especially a game like Smash Brothers. Like, there's so... Nintendo just needs to release their soundtracks on iTunes like Capcom and the Pokemon they, company do. Oh, yeah, they don't. That's true. As I say, they do, but I was I mean, thinking of Pokemon. They do, I mean, they clearly have these soundtracks. They have a bunch of Zelda ones that they release on CD. They have the Mario 3D World one, the Jazz remix, no less. They have Smash Bros. They're like, yeah. I don't know what's stopping them. I mean, they obviously release them all the time in Japan, like physically, but... I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's... I would buy them all. I wouldn't be surprised if they're new opening up of their IPs and doing more collaborations and joint deals and stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if they hit iTunes soon. They... Are, Honestly, they like, really it's, it's the next logical I thing I mean, especially considering, like, how... I'm assuming the Pokemon soundtracks do well. Like, I had... I mean, because of all this, like, the for video game music, I remember I had... Kind of like you, like, we had, like, a library of some songs that we really liked from games that we played. Yeah. But as soon as they made them officially, it's like, oh, I'm just going to buy them, like... I mean, if they're if they're made if they're available officially, it's more convenient and it's you're legal. guaranteed. Yeah. It's also legal. Legal. Well, mm. technically, it's legal if you own the game anyway, because you have the sound files on the cartridge yeah. or the disc. But... I mean, technically, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to download a soundtrack to a game I've never played. Well, yeah, 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 that's weird. <laughs> That'd be like, oh, I heard good things about a Mel Gear song. Let me just listen to its soundtrack and decide if I want to play it. Like that doesn't make sense. But mm. I guess unless you know one track from. Like you really like. Well, that's like way. liking a single from an artist. I know, yeah, album yeah. Off yeah. I mean, I guess, I it's guess a little that, different. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there could be exceptions, yeah. but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna download the whole album. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I, sh- I assume they're gonna do it. But yeah, yeah, it would, it would be cool it. if either of these racers did that. Um, yeah, a lot of indie games too also release their soundtrack online, like yeah. with the game. Like yeah. I know Binding of Isaac has it available. Did my did uh, a lot of them use, do that? Yeah, a lot of them use Bandcamp. Well, yeah, it's like the go-to for like indie music releases. So it makes sense. Switching to one more set of games that we thought were worth highlighting. Uh, I mean, there's no real way to transition this. So the guys at Tomorrow Corp, they are following uh, Nicholas's lead with pouring over a bunch of games at once, and they are now, out of nowhere, bringing us all three of their titles, World of Goo, Little Inferno, and Human Resource Mas- Machine, to Switch as individual downloads on launch day, day and date, with the system, all three, on the eShop. So first of all, that confirms we're going to have the eShop day and date, which is nice. Nintendo always seems to screw that up somehow, so it's cool that's actually there. And second of all, these are all really good games. Mm-hmm. Now we, I think, Little Inferno was really interesting. Wasn't it hard? It's an experiment but, more yeah, than a game. It's, it's it's a playground, a playroom. 
it was a playground. It was an experience. It had an actual story that was like, oh, this actually got awesome. got yeah. dark. That story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's like I think Tomorrow Corp. Well, when they made World Goo, they were still called Two D Boy, and then they became Tomorrow Corp. But they own obviously they own the rights to their own game. But I think those we've talked about all three of those games on the show over the years. I would say we're really big fans of the developer in general. So it's cool that they're allowing people to experience these if they haven't already. It's also very clearly a sign of going, whoa, look how easy it is to support these. Let's just do them all. But uh, no, I think it's great they're there. Like, Blue Inferno, if you've never played it, bizarre experience, kind of, where basically you're put in a room, there's a fireplace, you buy items, you burn the items, and through ways that are hard to describe, you progress through the game by burning things just in a fireplace, and you get money, you buy more things, and then more things unlock, and you get letters from the from this evil corporation of sorts, and you learn all these things, it gets very dark, and it's worth playing for that alone human resource machine if you've never played it is basically program how to program but with little people instead of code being what's affected like you have to use programming logic to determine how to give the best output for a certain number of inputs so you can move your way up the ranks of a company and world of goo is probably my favorite of the bunch this was the very first WiiWare game way back in 2009 8 something like that and maybe seven and uh which means it'd be 10 years old this year if it was 2007 wow but anyway, this is a physics game where you basically... It's like, you know those marshmallow and toothpick bridges and towers you had to build in like your middle school like science class? It's a game of that, essentially. So you use the Wii mode at the time to assemble these things. You have to get the goo to touch a pipe where the goo is then sucked up into whatever vat is kept in. So yeah, That's a really cool game. That's definitely one that I'm going to double dip on. in. The other ones are your too recent mm-hmm. maybe i'll get um little inferno just because that it has been a while since i played the game too yeah but... the most gamey of the three is probably world of goo honestly mm-hmm. like human resource machine is a game and there's progress honestly, but it's really just teaching you the ins and outs of the logic of that code. game's fun but um I, I feel like that game is more suited for i'm mean, honestly like like for a mobile game and the funny thing is that um, I had a friend over that he, he's into programming and he played it and he enjoyed it and then he found it on the on the, on the iTunes store and he downloaded it and he already beat it and I was like wow see that leads to an interesting question it's more suited for a mobile game World of Goo was made for the Wii Remote Will Inferno is a touchscreen game are all yeah. three of these just good? Yeah, they're all you... touchscreen are they all no yeah. dock mode yeah. how does that work yeah I feel like um, <laughs> yeah you kind of need the how do you you How would don't. you play Human Resource Machine without a touchscreen? You, you, I mean, I guess you... You, you yeah, don't? Yeah, I guess, like you said, it would have to be it have not to be either, on the dock. It has to be either um, have to be creative. kickstand or whatever, tablet mode or, like, handheld mode. Uh, I mean, I guess it's doable. Like, instead of having a free-roaming cursor, it's just going to move to the pre... Like, the, the only things you can select. But it sounds just not ideal. Well, yeah. World of Goo's the one I'm really curious about, because if you don't I mean, have... Little Inferno... Little Inferno... <laughs> little Inferno... <laughs> you said I, I couldn't talk. <laughs> I feel like it's still weird, just because, I mean, I feel like a cursor would be fine. Yeah, but I mean, we'll but you lose some of the fun with the cursor oh, yeah, you because do. you're about yeah. it's about throwing well, I mean, things around the room. Yeah, and burning yeah them. then you're gonna have to play without the dock. But how was little? I mean, how was World of Goo? I have no idea. Ported on X, PS4 and Xbox? Is it, it even wasn't. Those? I don't think so. Just um, computer, which makes sense. It was Steam and Wii mm. because you have a mouse and you have a virtual mouse in the form of the Wii remote. Yeah. So I'm really curious. I wonder if this is why Tomorrow Corp did not release a single screenshot of any of these games. I'm really curious how they're actually gonna work on Switch. Because I think more than just these being really good games, they're going to be a sign of how Nintendo's laying developers use different features of the Switch in general going forward. Because, I mean, if your games are touchscreen heavy and suddenly they have a shoehorned well, in mode to use the TV, then I think it's safe to say Nintendo's requiring them to figure out a way to do I that. Mean, the only thing if I could, not, then not. The only thing I could think of is um, 
there were a few games on the Wii that used the Wii Motion Plus without um without the the sensor bar. All you have to do is just reset the reset the controller while holding it vertically, and then as soon as you did that, it would actually know where you're pointing. It just made it, yeah, it made like a pseudo cursor that kind of worked. Oh, so I guess I could do that. So I mean. Yeah, then that would work in both docked and undocked. And you could use the Joy-Cons. And if the Joy-Con tech is better than the Wiimote, then in theory should be more accurate. I don't know. Time will tell. It's going to be mean, like, put the Wiimote, put the Joy-Con face down to okay. the car, and then it's going to be <laughs> Wait till right. it vibrates. The, the, the funny thing is, um, we're sitting here like, oh, how's this going to work? We're going to know in less than a month. It's like, as of when this episode goes up, I think it's 25 days, or 26 days until Switch comes so, out. Yeah, like, in theory, we have really to know... Close. Before we, it even launches, otherwise, like, right. how are they going to sell it on? And this? not only that, but we also have a lot to learn about the Switch itself. Like, this is going to be crunch time for Nintendo news coming up. But uh, all these games we just ran through, if you think it's actually kind of funny if you think about it, they're all actually coming out pretty soon, with the exception of maybe Ukulele, which we don't know about. We haven't even touched on games that are coming out further down the line that we don't know anything about. Like, you know, I'm super excited for No More Heroes. We didn't really talk about that. I'm weirdly kind of interested in Steep. Like, I had fun with the alpha build at E3, as buggy as it was. So I'm kind of interested in seeing what Ubisoft does with that on Switch and if it's how it's going to be always online if you're out and about with the Switch when, you know, that game requires always online. So that'd be kind of interesting to see. But the one unifying thing across all the games we've talked about, except maybe Steep, is the fact that they all feel so at home on Nintendo system. Everything we just rattled off feels like a nintendo made game like a game made for nintendo fans or that like resonates with them really well they're caring to that audience and in many well there's the wii u again what's the wii u want this is twice every time I we think talk it's about the for Switch, fire emblem heroes it might be lead your ally yeah. to victory in something something fire emblem so that's two episodes in a row where we're talking about the switch and the wii u chimes in because it feels neglected so hey wii u i have bad news for you you've been discontinued by nintendo What's left on store shelves of you is all that's left forever. Your last game comes out in a month. This is the end. Please, like, the sooner you accept it, the better it will be but for in all, the of, end, all of us. It doesn't even matter. It does matter. Lincoln Park, it does. Um, but what I was saying is all these games are super catered to like Intel on. And even the ones we didn't talk about really are. I mean, you got Minecraft and Minecraft Story. You got Poyo Poyo Tetris, Shovel Knight, Rayman Legends, Sonic Mania. Even that uh, Lego World, which is now accidentally confirmed for Wii U. Or, I mean, for Switch. Um, basically when people would say like Minecraft is basically like virtual Legos now Legos like well you know what we're (laughs) like virtual Minecraft oh wait (laughs) (laughs) let's just give you the real thing yeah exactly so the the, the Lego world one is funny because apparently a developer at TT Games basically tweeted oh yeah I always announced this Lego uh, city undercover and Lego world and everyone's like you announced Lego world and then uh, WB the publisher is just like well now we have (laughs) so there's no info on it it's coming now. But my point is, like, all these games are so well-suited for Nintendo fans, and people are going to be buying the Switch day one. And to kind of piggyback on what I was saying last episode with my theory about how they're releasing these games, I think it's a good way to ensure that third parties are going to be happy early on. Like, Nintendo knows their demographic. Third parties make games for that demographic. And Nintendo can, as Reggie put, have a footprint while established, and then just kind of expand outward from there. Like, this is, this is how you make sure you keep third parties happy, is you make games that Nintendo fans care about. Because we just rattled off, like, six or seven of them that we're interested in like that's a decent number of games from other people that aren't nintendo and and it's funny because if you look at the japanese presentation and you kind of think about the fact that we're now further and further away from it it almost feels like a lot of the early concerns you said this at the top of the show it almost feels like a lot of the early concerns about switch are fading away now like don't get me wrong actually don't get me wrong there are still things that are weird and odd that i don't really love for example 
online. We still know how it's going to work with that app. Yes, it's reportedly half the price of Xbox Live and PlayStation Network. And yes, it turns out the home button on the Joy-Con can light up blue like the Wii U's can, which is kind of cool. And isn't there already um, some indication that we could do it without the app? See, that's what's weird. You're talking about the Splatoon 2 stuff, right? The Splatoon lab or whatever. Something alluded to it. Yes, they alluded to it, but they didn't. I was reading it because I was going to put it in the podcast originally. I was like, oh, they said it won't. And then I was reading the statement or the thing, and it was just kind of like... It is weird because it's like, oh, use the app to schedule um, to schedule your appointments with friends and then talk with them in the lobby in the app. Once the game starts, oh. talk with your team. And it's like, wait, are you talking with your team in the app or in the game? It kept saying in the app and it just magically oh. took away the word app. It's like, does that mean it's in the game now? It's really... No, I guess what I was alluding to, I guess I just remember what it was. I guess um, when they were saying, I think it was a European like description of the parts of the switch or something and it and at one point i mentioned that the headphone deck is compatible with headsets with mics oh so that implies it would be there yeah but see this mystery regardless of if it is or not it sounds like it will be which is what they should do but the audio is we're now a month almost a month after the presentation and we still don't know and the switch is less than a month away we still don't know like that why don't we know? why don't we know it's weird what what's the angle like how do you well the the angle is they don't need to tell us till fall because it's free until then and until then you won't have the app and you will use in game chat but that's the angle currently because we have games coming out barman in march Yeah, but people want to talk i know anyway yeah we i mean so it'd be be cool if i'm just like playing street fighter and you're playing I don't know, whatever you would You know what's playing. funny? I we can do that currently with FaceTime, Skype, cell phones, Facebook, Google+. Yeah, Plus. but wouldn't it be nice not to have to open anything? Like, just be it in-game. It would. Like, now, I guarantee we you... We both have to be playing at the same time. I was like, oh, Jason's on. I'll just chat with him. I and guarantee then... you if they do party chat like that, it's going to be through the app only. If they do game-specific chat, it might work on the TV. I mean, on the Switch itself, like through the TV. That's my gut feeling. But regardless, I wasn't trying to... Did you just upend the table? Oh, a clipboard. A clipboard. Now, I wasn't trying to guess down this whole... Sorry that. that probably, yeah, that probably like broke a few... Like, look at that sound spike on our tracker here. That's I blame you. You literally did it. Anyway, <laughs> the point is, I wasn't trying to unleash uh, or open that can of worms about online again. We had our meltdowns last episode. But what I was getting at is, with the exception of that, I feel like some of the complaints are fading away. Like, the complaint about a thin game lineup seems kind of less of an issue now to me. If I were to even buy half the games we talked about in this episode, all of which are probably coming to Switch by summer, maybe not ukulele, and then I combine that with the likes of Zelda, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, Arms, Platoon 2, Snipper Clips, all of which I know I'm getting, I feel like that's a lot of games to play in a very short amount of time. Right? Like, that seems... Even if you don't buy every single first-party game, you have a game every couple weeks from now through summer. That's, yeah, no that's one needs that much... And, and what's funny is Kimishima, Nintendo's global president, Tatsumi Kimishima, raised this exact same point in their financial briefing last week. He was saying that if you even if you just focus on first party, having a steady drumbeat of Zelda, Mario Kart, Splatoon, ARMS, from March up through summer, that's going to keep buzz going. That's going to keep people talking. It's going to keep, keep people playing. And if you have those highs with a couple like B-tier, lower, smaller, like lower-tier, smaller indie games – there's a lot to play. Like, a lot to play. So, I don't know. I think that complaint that people had maybe isn't an issue. Or maybe I'm just getting a little blinded by the Switch hype. I don't know. Because, like, did you see that Super Bowl commercial Nintendo put out? They're advertising the Switch in the Super Bowl. Which, by the time most people listed this, would have already happened. But still, like, this is the same Nintendo who, in 2012, 
blamed the lack of Wii U launch period commercials on the fact that they didn't want paid slightly higher rates due to the election year because all the super packs are buying up commercials and they're like well we can buy them too but we have to pay more we don't want to do that and now they're putting down five million dollars for a 30 second spot in the fourth quarter of the super bowl which is the most viewed quarter of the super bowl if anyone's going to tune into the super bowl at any time it's probably gonna be at the fourth quarter i mean they, or watch the whole game but no one tunes in at the first and it's like i'm out by the second they're there for the fourth so it's at least five million dollars so I mean, what if in the first quarter there's like 50 to zero and then they're like what's the point of even watching the rest of the well football? okay yeah that's why traditionally the fourth is the best i'm assuming it's not gonna be a blowout it's funny because people are gonna be listening to this after super bowl and be like it was a blowout but i'm gonna assume it's not so uh who's playing it's I'm just the kidding, I don't patriots know. and falcons <laughs> yeah was... now you know i don't know what you could do with that information i don't that even know where whether who they're representing so the patriots are <laughs> new england and the falcons are atlanta the Falcons mm-hmm. were kind of a surprise. No one thought they'd be in the Super Bowl. Oh, really? The Patriots are kind of the go-to. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> uh, regardless. That's uh, interesting. It's so interesting. But you know what's more interesting is the Switch ad in the Super Bowl. See how I snaked that back? Uh, but yeah, it's it. the ad's actually pretty well done. Like, it really hammers home, at least in my opinion, it really hammers home how big of a deal, like, Switch is for them. And it does a solid job of really showing what it's about. Like, the 30-second ad, it just focuses on the switching mechanic, TV to or handheld to TV, and then there's this full breadth of the system shown off in a 90-second YouTube commercial, which has all sorts of little cool Easter eggs. Like, I'm sure you saw the Street Fighter reference at the laundromat. They're playing Street Fighter on laundromat. The laundromat's called Spinning Bird. Chun-Li move called Spinning Bird. See what they did there. Or there's Mario cookies at the 1-2-Switch party, or it's a, or there's a uh, It's Dangerous to Go Alone book in the Zelda fan's room written by Zell Dash. So there's uh-huh, the uh-huh, yeah. So uh-huh. there, there's cool little Easter eggs. It kind of reminds me of the Pokemon Company's uh, 20th anniversary ad for Pokemon last year, and honestly, I think that ad is what paved the way for this Switch ad this year. Because Nintendo didn't. Like this is the second year we've seen a Nintendo property in the Super Bowl. But this is the first year Nintendo themselves are doing it, and I suspect they looked at the success of the Pokemon ad, and basically were like, "Well, that makes that five million really easy because." In addition to the hundreds of millions of people who watched the Pokemon ad during the game last year, there's this whole online frenzy around these ads every year. After the game, YouTube and Hulu do these huge uh, like best of things where you vote for your favorite commercial. And because of that, in mere days following the ad last year, the Pokemon ad got uh, 18 million views on YouTube. So not only did they get the 100 millions during the game, they got 18 million more just from people seeking it out. And it went on to be voted as YouTube's best ad of the Super Bowl that year, or like the top ad. So it gets traction. And as of this recording, I checked the uh, Switch numbers before I came over here to record. The 30-second ad, keep in mind, we're recording the day before the Super Bowl. 30-second ad has 700,000 views. The one-and-a-half-minute ad has 1.7 million views, and it hasn't even aired on TV yet. So this is probably a sound investment for them. Huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> Switch has hype is my point. Yeah, so I guess speaking of sports... What? I don't know what you're transitioning to, because... What? <laughs> I was going to say Switch has hype, and then mention pre-orders. Is... Yeah. What's like all the good sport? sport. Okay. I don't follow. What? Let's keep going. Alright, speaking of sports. I was getting impatient and wanted to talk about Mario Sports Superstars. Oh, wow. That's, like, way later, dude. <laughs> that's... We, we still have financials to get through. Oh, man. That sounds exciting. Alright, let's go. 
wow, good good way to undercut the whole pot. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, I was going to say that, um, and it seems like it'd be pretty successful, and I'd argue it already is somewhat successful, or at least the buzz is already there for Nintendo, because they're seeing sales results as uh, come out of this. Or not necessarily the Super Bowl ad, but just the buzz about the Switch in general. It's obviously too early to tell if the Super Bowl ad did, but the general awareness, the general positivity about Switch, so much so that uh, Tasumi Kimishima, again, Nintendo's global president, told a Japanese newspaper, um, I think it was Nikkei, that's the big one, uh, that he thinks the Switch could actually <laughs> could actually match the level of sales the Wii had. Now, let's back up for a second. I mean, why wouldn't he say that, though? Is he going to say, like, it's not going to be as successful no, as the Wii? No, he doesn't need a... No one asked him to compare it to the Wii. He compared it to the Wii. You don't... Lightning doesn't strike twice. The Wii sold 100 million, 101 million units. The 3DS, currently on its sixth year and starring its slight... That, you know, it actually is doing better year over year, but it's on its sixth year... It's at sixty-five million. Well, I mean, that's like consoles after million. the Wii haven't really done so well, so it's not like he can say like it's going to do better than the Wii U. Which like, is why oh, I'm comparing no it. Oh well, yeah, but he doesn't even say it's going to do. He could just say we're expecting great performance. We're expecting it to match 3DS sales. We're expecting something a little more reasonable than 101 million. Maybe he's right. His argument is that um, much like the Wii create a new way to play games, the Switch will too. So, regard. I mean, in his defense, or to his credit. Pre-orders are strong enough that Nintendo's now saying they're increasing Switch production. They are strong enough that pre-orders are selling out. In Sweden, for example, one of their biggest electronic uh, retailers went on record saying that Switch pre-orders are currently outpacing PS4 pre-orders from before its launch. And we know how PS4 is doing, which is great, so that's a good sign. And even on a more general level, there seems to be just interest online in pre-ordering a Switch now versus you know, trying to find one after um, it comes out. There's a Twitter user who does a lot of stats. He's actually an analyst named uh, ZHugeEX. And he went on Google Trends and he compiled some interesting data that showed that, for example, the phrase pre-order Wii U, which keep in mind was years ago, only received about 20% of the number of searches that this phrase pre-order Nintendo Switch has current, is currently saying at. So we're not even at the launch yet and Switch has that many more searches for pre-orders than Wii U did. Another comparison. Uh, if you compare pre-order Nintendo Switch to pre-order Wii, Wii only has about 47% of the Switch's current number of searches. Now, to be fair, there are a lot of variables that can kind of, you know, sway these numbers. For example, online buying is more common these days. Searching is, you know, more people search more readily because they have it on their phone at any one moment. It's not like they have to wait till they get to Google at their desktop computer or their laptop. Uh, stuff like that. But still, these numbers feel telling it seems like there's certainly a level of interest with switch that we didn't see with wii u or even to some extent with wii so maybe maybe kimishima's not crazy maybe it is possible that will hit 101 million i don't know but having a super bowl ad having these pre-sales sell out before they even air the ad it seems like things are looking up for nintendo so given, things are coming up switch so given all this self-praise do you think like i mean hopefully this doesn't happen but like let's say it bombs Think... Oh, then they're going third party. Done. Oh, yeah. You think so? That's my guess. Like you're that, you're that um, confident in that? Mm-hmm. They had their worst financial losses when Wii U bombed. They had their most successful rebounds when they started putting their characters on other things. Universal, theme parks, or at least the news about that, IP expansion, mobile games. They don't have much justification to give it another try. 
if Switch bombs. Now, it doesn't mean they won't still make their own machine like a 3DS successor or something. In fact, Kimishima is already flowing the idea that it's possible they'll make a 3DS successor. But I don't see them having the Switch bomb if it bombs, which I don't think it will. But I don't see it bombing and then time going, give us another do-over. We'll make a new console. I think they're going to say, we'll stick to handhelds. And you know what? We'll start putting our characters on other things like we're already doing. We'll just expand that out. That, that seems like the only logical option right now in my opinion i don't think they even need to do that though but you know time will tell time will tell it, it's gonna be really interesting to watch the switch and how it's doing in the meantime though we do get to see how the rest of nintendo has done thanks to the newest financial report and do you see how smooth i transitioned from what the switch will do to what nintendo's done did you see that that was quality a, a type of quality you can only get from the random Tale podcast but uh yeah so we um We'll start with Nintendo on a general level, then we'll dive into some specifics about 3DS and mobile, tie in their upcoming plans, talk about Fire Emblem Direct, talk about Mario Sports, since you wanted to. Um, yeah, so let's, so it's kind of like a Jason Sales Corner and a news roundup and our usual chit-chat analysis all kind of balled into one weird hodgepodge. So let's start with Nintendo as a whole. All things considered, they actually had a pretty good holiday. They, or, or holiday quarter, I should say, which is October through December. There's room to improve for sure. But because of a weak yen, because they finalized their Seattle Mariners deal and got a whole bunch of money out of it, their profit was not only up for this quarter, but it was actually exceeding analyst predictions by a large amount. Nintendo brought in 64.7 billion yen, that's $569 million, when analysts expected them to only bring in 20 billion yen. So they more than tripled what analysts thought they were going to do. And this means, as a result, Nintendo now thinks for the whole year they're going to make 90 billion yen in profit, which is pretty good. I mean, it, it's a lot more than they anticipated because they originally were expecting something around $50 billion. So they nearly doubled their profit, mostly due to currency exchanges and the Mariners again. But still, they managed mm. to double their profit. Now, you can tell it has nothing to do with their games because revenue, what, where they actually bring in money from things they do, was down 21% year over year. So it came in at 174.3 uh, billion yen. That's about $154 million in revenue. And that's due to weak holiday sales outside of just a few key products. So one is obviously the Wii U. If the Wii U over there wants to chirp one more time to feel, to get paid from us, now's the time because I'm about to destroy it. Because the Wii U, uh, yeah, it's down year over year. I don't think that surprises anyone. During this holiday quarter, so October to December, it only sold 760,000 units worldwide. That's a decrease of 75% compared to a year ago, and its games fell 45%. They sold 12.48 million games. Now, as expected, these things are going down because Nintendo's winding down Wii U. It's officially been discontinued, and they have confirmed that Breath of the Wild will be the last Nintendo-published game on the console. So, I'd say pouring out for Wii U, but I don't think we have anything to pour. Um, the real bummer, actually, is because Breath of the Wild is the last game, that also means Project Giant Robot is officially dead. Now, Project Giant Robot... I forgot it was alive. Pro most people did, but ever since it was revealed at E3 2014... On their, on their financial reports release calendar every three months, upcoming releases included Project Giant Robot with a release date of TBD. Consistently. For two and a half years, it was there. We never saw it. We never heard about it. It just sat there going, I swear I'm coming. Please, just I swear I'm a real thing. I'm a real boy. And then Nintendo just pulled the plug on it. Through thick and thin, we had Giant Robot until now. So, you'll be missed, Giant Robot. It's basically become a running joke that even existed. But yeah, now it's officially done. And uh, now that the Wii is basically done, we can say in its whole lifetime, it sold 13.56 million units, which is not good. 
pretty low. Now, it's possible that number's gonna go up a hair because there are obviously Wii out in stores right now that are being sold and ones from Nintendo's uh, warehouses that are still shipping. But I don't think we're topping anything above 14 million. So... How much did the GameCube do again? Uh, like 20-something, I think. I could pull up the number real quick. So the GameCube did do better? The GameCube did better. The Dreamcast might... The Dreamcast did worse, but the GameCube did better. Yikes. So at least Nintendo can take... Uh, can take... Solus? Is that the right word? And the fact that... Um, that was Solus. Solus, you're right. Solus is Quantum of Solus, a James Bond movie. But um, Nintendo could at least take... Pleasure in the fact that they were able to beat the Dreamcast, I guess. <laughs> and the GameCube, in case you're wondering, sold a grand total of... 21.74 million. In fact, the near that is the nearest. Yeah, it's it's uh, Wii U's at 13.56. Well, Virtual Boy is not listed here, but that would be their biggest failure, and this would be, I guess, number two, which is a little sad. They only sold like 20. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but it's it's honestly a little sad because like the, the the Wii U had some good stuff going for it. And in case you're wondering, best selling Wii, uh, Wii U game of all time, Mario Kart 8, 8.26 million copies. Meanwhile, you might think it'd be something like Smash Bros, right? But Smash Bros only sold 5.16 million, so it's pretty far down the list. It's behind a couple other games, including, I believe, 3D World. Yeah, so. Didn't the 3DS version sell more? But I mean, it there's also more. There's 3DS. a huge yeah. market. Yeah, there are 65 million 3DSs out there. Yeah. So now another sense. area where Nintendo took a hit besides Wii U, which we all saw coming, and this one shouldn't be a surprise either, is Amiibo. So if you look at sales of Amiibo from the start of fiscal year from now, and there so were th- sales this year. There were surprisingly, yeah. So if you well, look, from, I guess the um, the woolly the woolly Amiibos came out this. year. The woolly Amiibos came out this year. Uh, Animal Crossing Amiibo I mean, cards, last year, whatever. Right. Oh, you know, you know, they were last year. You're right. Yeah, they were in 2015. I guess, but we mean this fiscal year. So right? this fiscal year, yeah. To clarify, it's April 26 of 2016 up through December of 2016 yeah, thus cool. far. So nine months. There was still hype for the the giant Yoshi. Remember there was a long line and all that. Yeah, stuff. well, that was almost peak amiibo. That was like yeah, it was still during that Yeah, I think on that same day they were putting pre-orders for the Greninja amiibo and mm-hmm. the Pac-Man amiibo or something. Like yeah, that. that was definitely 2015 then. But what we're looking at now is a period where they announced, I don't even remember all of them, nothing too drastic. They had, like, the Animal Crossing Amiibo somewhat. I think they still did, like, Series 2 or 3 at the start of the year. They had the Animal Crossing Amiibo cards, and they have um, the Mario Series 2 during the holidays with, like, the glow-in-the-dark Boo and Waluigi. So all that together, I don't know if the cards actually count towards this number, but they clocked in 6.5 million Amiibo figurines sold. So I guess that doesn't include cards. Uh, If you look at 2015, that number, that 6.5, actually looked like 20.5 20.5 they sold less than a third of what they did a year ago which is a notable drop-off definitely a notable drop-off it's uh that's why they're saving the the rest of the smash bros one because they know those are still gonna sell like crazy well yeah that's the thing nintendo specifically blamed the lack of smash bros amiibo they're like oh yeah of course we didn't sell as well we don't have smash bros amiibo mm-hmm. duh but you think it's you still have cloud corn yeah rob, but they're, i'm sure corn. they're waiting for no rob's out no no no, no. I, I was gonna say rob but i meant corn uh, yeah, i'm corn. sure they're uh i mean <laughs> yeah, you said it twice. i mean they already showed off like bayonetta it's i'm sure they'll like... come out with smash on switch yeah, do you think they're going to port over Bayonetta 1 and 2? No. Huh? Again? <laughs> they didn't sell well enough to do a third time. No. But, uh, but I mean, I, you got back up. And I mean, it was the, on the Wii, though. That's true. So maybe. I feel like it would have a better chance on the Switch. Maybe. They'd have to... I guess they could. Like, if there's any system for Nintendo to do remakes and HD remakes on, it, I guess it would be Switch, because... Wii U had some of those that no one wa- that no one played, and Wii is old enough now that they could do remakes. Especially or even GameCube's old enough that they could do Especially now that Bandit is already in Smash Brothers, and more people yeah. will have 
So I guess there is potential. Yeah, maybe I jumped the gun saying that. But I did want to say about Amiibo real quick. That 6.5 million, while it is only a third of what they sold a year prior, all things considered, I would argue it's actually kind of holding its own. Which sounds absurd because it's such a big drop. But think about it. Like, the industry of the Toys to Life like, market is so shaky right now. The bubble basically burst. Disney pulled out. Skylanders is underperforming. Didn't you just get, like, a whole bunch of LEGO Dimensions for, like, nothing? Yeah, we did. It was we like got, a buck each, right? We got a we got the Homer the Homer set, which actually comes with a whole like set of levels to play with for one dollar. That's yeah. still worth right now, and I found the other day at Walmart for twenty three bucks. We got the Portal one, which also comes with its own set of levels and three figures. Twenty three dollar value still right now for one dollar, and we also got the Bart Simpson that's worth like ten twelve bucks for one dollar, so and they're all still available right now. I don't know why they're there. Maybe they ordered too many and they're like, we literally don't have space for them in our warehouse. Give them to a so, 99 cent store. Yeah, so give them to a 99 cent store. So I have a friend that literally bought like a whole shelf worth. Like, it's crazy. Little kids in the elementary school are telling me like, whoa, like they're, they're in the daughter store. We're like, we're all getting Lego dimensions. But and, see, like, that's the state of the toys to life industry right now that like, that's happening. Disney's leaving. Skyliner's not performing. in the normal store though. Which yeah, it's, no it's bizarre. And yet, here's Nintendo there, yeah. pay, still listing their Amiibo for decent price. Granted, a lot are on sale at like Target and Best Buy randomly for like you know two thirds the price, but they're not a dollar. They're still releasing them, and they're still selling millions of them. Yeah, they just announced the Fire Emblem one. Right, exactly. So like mystery name and unknown girl name. I don't remember. Their yes, names. the the two pack for Echoes, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, yeah. but uh, the point is, in a weird way. It's um, I feel like it's almost like the stigma that uh, Amiibo had of their collectibles first and gameplay comes second and why would anyone buy them for games? What do they do in the games? They do nothing of note in the games. It almost helped them in this case because while the bubble burst and, and people were like, oh, I'm not buying it or you know, I'm, I'm not buying Skylanders or Disney because I don't want to keep paying more for this game, collectors are looking at Amiibo as collectibles and still buying them in the millions and still generating revenue for Nintendo. Now, granted, this isn't their main revenue stream by any means, but it's still a revenue stream. And I think the real question now is, how's Amiibo going to perform a year from now? I think we're at the point where it's not... We had multiple lengthy conversations on this very show over the years about, oh, why is Nintendo underselling or under-shipping Amiibo? Oh, why aren't they doing good things with Amiibo? Why are there no games that support Amiibo? And now it's almost like, hey, if they can sell $6.5 million at 10 bucks a pop, go for it <laughs> like cool that's more money for them and cool collectibles for us it doesn't need to be anything more than that like i don't think if they sell this they lower were just amount the right size i felt like the tiny um jack specific figures were too small yeah and and, these so, are and, size, some, of the, yeah. and some of those action figures um are too big well especially yeah, the link that's three feet yeah, tall because yeah, there, there's a few characters that i'm like i don't want to i don't want a full action figure that my like, guy just wants something to represent them and yeah. the amiibo like just fit the bill exactly I mean, yeah so i i almost think that like like they're definitely perfect little desk companions. Yeah. And I, I could totally see Nintendo continuing nice to make, Yeah, basically, really light, not good paperweight. <laughs> well, you don't have to put a ton That's of true. paper. But I could see Nintendo basically being I like... I mean, if you don't have a drafty office, I mean, they're, they're pretty decent paperweights. Yeah. You don't have a drafty office because your, your office is literally inside a cubby of sorts. Even in the computer lab, but yeah. Oh, at work, yeah. But uh, do you have Amiibo mm. at work? Is that what you're telling me? No, but I do have a Simba there. That's about it. Oh. Yeah. I have a Donkey Kong and an 8-Bit Mario on my desk. Hmm. I, my Nintendo Amiibo? loyalty runs deep. But, uh, nah, I have a Pichu sticker on one of the computers. but I guess that counts. <laughs> but anyway, the point I was going to make is like I could totally see Nintendo just being like, you know what? 
at our weakest point when the Wii U was not selling during the holidays, we had nothing else, 2014, 2015, we had Amiibo. And Amiibo did great, and they generated a ton of money for us. But when, uh, but when you, yeah, but when uh, you look at it now, I can see Nintendo taking the Apple approach, just being like, "Hey, it's a hobby for us." That's what Apple used to call their Apple TV when it wasn't selling a ton. It generates some revenue. It does well with a certain audience. It adds to the company's bottom line, but it's not make or break. So if Amiibo lives on like that, cool. I think that's fine. Um, I don't think Nintendo's gonna turn away the money. So the real question is, how will be a year from now, and if you know it continues sinking, then maybe we have to reevaluate. But everyone that's panicking about me bombing. I don't think it's so bad at the moment. And that's not to say it's all bad for Nintendo. Like, everything I talked about was negative. Amiibo down, Wii U's dead. But there are things that did quite well. 3DS did quite well. Mobile's working out really well for Nintendo. We'll talk about those each individually in a minute here. But the one other success that's worth mentioning first is the NES Classic Edition. This thing sold 1.5 million mm-hmm. units They worldwide. literally sold every single one. They literally sold every single one. 1.5 million of them. Which is both a lot. Wait, I thought they ordered not... 2 million. What? No, it was 1.5. No, that's Switches at launch. Oh, you're right. Yeah, so they sold 1.5 million uh, worldwide, which I was starting to say is both a lot and not nearly as much at the same as they could have. Like, it's both. Because during the financial briefing, Kimishima straight up admitted that they underestimated demand. He says they're now working around. We don't understand how much people like Nostalgia. So apparently what they thought, this is from a Reggie interview, or from an interview, I think it was Reggie, back um, around the Switch launch. What they thought is this was going to resonate with parents who want to show their kids the games they used to play. They did not expect just a bunch of 20 and 30-somethings to be like, I want it for myself anyway. So that's where the extra demand came from, and that's what they didn't anticipate. And they, to be honest, Nintendo, no offense, you're kind of dumb for not realizing that your diehard fans would buy these. If you really thought it was just going to be parents. Really then, dumb. Yeah. So so now they're ramping up production, and they had to secure certain parts again because apparently, like, I guess some of the components are hard to come by since, you know, they're, like, old NES components or mimics, mim copies of those components. So, uh, yeah, now it's they're ramping up. And it, if you thought Classic NES was a flash in the pan, perhaps it's not because from November to December, it actually went up in sales by 14%. And I imagine that'll continue to grow for a little while, at least until demand's finally met. Because just think how much they could have sold if they actually met demand. Hmm. They probably could, this, this number could all of them. Probably, yeah, well, yeah, this number would easily be double, possibly triple. Like one point five is kind of nothing at least in that regard. Four coworkers that I know still want one. Yeah, it's like it's crazy. Want, want, so and want. yeah, and, and <laughs> <laughs> neither of us can talk today. And the demand is totally there. I mean, Kimishima also admitted that part of the reason they're willing to uh, keep going with the NES Classic is because, in many ways, it's going to lead people to also become interested in the Switch. So not only is it a money-making tool, it's also a marketing tool. So, which makes sense. They should have like a NES, like an NES style skin for the Switch, and then just put all the. Oh, they're already on Etsy, which is weird because no one yeah, knows Switch have, Dimension. So yeah, how do they have it? <laughs> but, but they're not official, so therefore they don't exist. That's true. I wow, you're really <laughs> that clipboard getting abused today. Now the next uh, that. I know, but. Yeah, they, they should. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do a Super Nintendo. I'm just kidding. No offense to the Etsy people. That I would them. be surprised if they do like a classic edition of uh, the Super Nintendo next. I mean, this thing is a hit for them. And it wasn't the only hit, because now you want to talk about Mario. We're getting there, I promise. Uh, we're up to the 3DS, which was the real moneymaker for Nintendo. Uh, the 3DS and its games. Actually, no. I take that back. There was one 3DS game that was a real moneymaker for Nintendo, and its name was Pokemon. It was a core driver of hardware. It's a core driver of software. If there's some third category of thing it could be, I guarantee it would be a core driver of that too. It led 3DS year-over-year sales in hardware to go up 10% to 6.45 million. 
It led software to grow by 20% to $36.78 million. And here in the U.S., the, the quarter, this past holiday quarter that Pokemon Sun and Moon was released in, was the single most successful quarter of 3DS sales in the system's history. Really? This game more so of than Pokemon, wow. more so than X and well, Y. Just sense. wait till these stats. X and Y was kind of like, it just had new Pokemon, it just had new mechanics, but I feel like this one was definitely, it just felt the most welcoming and inviting of all the it Pokemon. It was. They they very smartly, we talked about this yeah, in the yeah. is they very smartly paired it as like, well, we have all these new people that are into it for 20th anniversary. Let's ease them back into this yeah. game that's evolved so much it's since almost, they last played. It, it's almost how they should have done a sequel from the very beginning. Yep. Yeah. It's like they finally figured well, it no, out. Well, no, no, no. Because what they did from the beginning, they did it smartly. People were there. They started piling on. But at some point, they piled too high. Then they tried to hit reset, but did it wrong. Not wrong, but not ideally with black and white. And then they were like, eh, screw it. Go back to piling yeah, on. So then they, they piled back on. Like, and now even then, like, right. the, like, plot-wise, I get, that game was pretty interesting. I felt the plot of that game was a little more interesting than this one. Well, that doesn't mean... Yeah, I'm just talking no, no, about, no, like, no, yeah, yeah, ease yeah. of entry for new people. No, yeah, exactly, yeah. It was definitely more hit and run. Yeah. So what Pokemon Sun Moon did that made all this possible with these crazy sales numbers is it sold, combined, 14.69 million units worldwide. Now, that's literally, literally, 1 million more copies than Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire have sold ever. <laughs> like, that's crazy. It did that in three in under three months, in, like, two months. It's still more than all of uh, Auras. It also is rapidly catching up to the game we were just talking about, X and Y. X and Y's lifetime sales, which keep in mind, it's been out for a while, are at 16.06 million. Sun and Moon, which shows no sign of lining up, like I said, is at, is at 14.69 million. So it's closing in very quickly. And I think anyone that's been following Sun and Moon sales is probably isn't too surprising for them. I mean, Nintendo of America previously announced that... Uh, they're the first, or they're the fastest selling games to four million here in the U.S. In fact, they've already passed four point five million in the U.S. alone in six weeks. So there's that, and then uh, there's also the fact that you know they had the Pokemon Go Halo effect. Nintendo specifically attributes all the success of Pokemon Sun and Moon to the fact that it's Pokemon's twentieth anniversary and they had the Super Bowl, and to the fact that they then followed that up with Pokemon Go. It brought back a lot of people to the franchise that weren't already there. Kimishima specifically mentioned in the briefing. 20-somethings and 30-somethings came back in force. And he has stats to prove it. They're actually really kind of interesting. Um, yeah, we also have anecdotal evidence. We have friends that literally haven't played Pokemon for a decade. For about a decade, in. yeah. And yeah. back in, they bought the new 3DS locally on Lunala version. And just like, okay, that's a friend. A but, friend yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, but I mean, that's... No, no, mm-hmm. I have another one that also bought that. Oh, really? Yeah, they searched for it. But they're... The other friend was like also more of like a like a Pokemon fan, but they haven't bought on a game in a while just because they were also kind of jaded, but they yeah. still love Pokemon as a concept. But they came back in, and both of those also just bought a Switch. What I find crazy is a stat that Kimishima shared that kind of backs up what you're saying. So he Nintendo can see your activity log on your 3DS and see what games you're playing. <gasps> Gasp! So better not be know, looking, it, better it, not be it, playing poor in the asked, game, or else they'll scold it you. It asks you to give them permission. Yeah. But they, they have a stat that 17% of all 3DS activity logs that have Sun and Moon listed do not have a single other Pokemon game listed. Meaning, approximately a fifth of 3DS owners have not played a Pokemon game since 2011 or earlier, because that's when the 3DS came out. I mean, granted, you could argue they went back and played old ones, but realistically, how many did that? None. So that's crazy. A fifth of all people that bought Sun and Moon haven't played Pokemon in a long time. Like, more than six years or more than five years. That's a lot. That's pretty impressive that they're able to bring him back in. So um, another sign of proof that it that it was Pokemon driving a lot of this is in Japan, 3DS sales were down year over year every quarter 
this fiscal year up until the release of Pokemon, and then suddenly they went above what they did a year ago. So Pokemon's literally what saved it. Now, there are a few other success stories as well. I don't want to give Pokemon too much credit. Over in Europe, Yo-Kai Watch is actually doing surprisingly well. It's mirroring the crazy trajectory it had in Japan. So here in the U.S., I feel like Yo-Kai never really caught on in a big way. But well, I mean, in, it's on Disney XD for one thing. Like I know. they, they That's already they, yeah. like starting the race they with dug their own handicap. Break. Yeah. But and, in Europe, it's doing quite well. And it's it, during the holidays, so just those three months, it sold over 700,000 copies. Not bad. Likewise, and perhaps more impressively, uh, Super Mario Maker which has only been out for a month of this fiscal quarter that we're talking about. It sold over a million copies worldwide. Hmm. I'm actually surprised by that. That's Honestly, the 3DS version, I didn't think I mean. it would do that well. Well, that's the thing, is uh, Nintendo didn't necessarily either, but then they realized... I, I mean, they must have. Because I feel like but, that game art is already kind of crippled Well, here's here's the argument they're yeah. I don't know. Here's the argument they're making that kind of indicates more than just... What, it explains why they're doing a lot of what they're doing with 3DS, and that is there is this potential of a latent 3D market 3ds market coming to life and what that basically there's like this 65 million people have a 3ds 65 million people do not have a wii u 65 million people will not have a switch but there are 65 million people with a 3ds who are buying games at least somewhat mario maker tapped that potential it mario maker tapped that mario tapped that 3ds now but uh mario maker taps that potential other games are going to be coming out with that this year. Taps that potential. They don't want to just throw like away Roy that World. audience. Yeah, Roy World will tap that. I hope that game does well because that game definitely needs to be played by everybody. Yeah, it's a really good game. But they they have this huge crowd that they can cater to that Switch won't and Wii U certainly won't now that it's dead. And in a lot of cases, this is a person's very first system. Like the 2DS, for example, now represents 15% of all 3DS hardware sold through in Japan, meaning sold to retailers. It's 26% or sorry, no, 28% here in America, and in Europe, the 2DS is nearly half of all 3DS being sent to retailers. It's 48%. So Kimishima is basically saying with these numbers and everything that they had these initiatives to get people to buy 3DSs. They had the kid initiative, like the kid-friendly games, you know, we saw it with Yokai, with Pokemon, with Kirby Plant, Robo, Bobo, Bobo, Bot, all that. They, uh, it's really fun to say, I'm sorry. Uh, they had all those initiatives, they now have all these kids that own 2DSs. Nearly half of 3DSs in Europe are 2DSs. And now they got to keep making games for them because why throw that away? Why throw that potential away? So that is why we are now seeing Nintendo publicly say they're supporting Switch and 3DS side by side. This was an argument I was making on this show for a while that we're not going to see 3DS go away. It's going to live on in tandem with Switch. It's going to be the budget system. People are buying it for cheaper for their kids. And Kimishima's outright agreeing. What? How long was Game Boy Advance Life for when the about when two, the, 3D, when the so the Game Boy came out in two, 3DS when the DS was a third pillar or whatever. So they the it. Game Boy Advance came out in June 2001 here in the states. 3DS or the DS now you got me doing it came out in November 2004, and then Game Boy had games up through 2006. So about a year and a half after, oh. which lines up with everything we talked about on the show. Decent amount of time. Yeah, so it lines up with everything we talked about that it's going to be something similar with 3DS and Switch because Switch is 300 dollars. 3DS you can get for 80 dollars. 3DS is pitched as a, like kids' first game. 2DS, I mean, is pitched as like kids' first gaming system. And once all these 65 million are out there, you might as well make games for them. You might as well sell games to them. It just it just doesn't make sense to abandon it. So because of that, we're seeing Nintendo do so. But I think, and you can see it with what they're releasing. I think we're still having that situation where it's not going to be the same type of games or the same budget of for games as what you're seeing on Switch. I mean, Kimishima and Nintendo have been naming a few specific games in the conference and outside of it, like uh, 
next month we get or in two weeks actually we get tank troopers an eShop game for 3ds that isn't a huge deal but we also just got Pucci and Yoshi's Boy World, and then we have Ever Oasis coming out, and we have the somehow Pick, still on, yeah, which is still untitled and still undated. Nintendo just updated, uh, put out a press release, like, yeah, we still have Pikmin in the works. It's still a working title, and yeah, it still has no date. But it's being made by the new Yoshi Island people. Supposedly, yeah, as asked. But we have all this coming. I and mean, it can still be good, but... Yeah. Um, the point is, though, like, they're making these games to appeal to these 65 million people, many of which may be younger, or many of which are buying the system for cheaper, knowing... Oh yeah, I get this eight-hour system, so the games will still be quality. They're just not going to be as much of an investment on Nintendo's end, I feel like. And I think a good example of that is probably Mario Sport Superstars, which is scheduled for release now. It turns out on March twenty-fourth, and there you go. I finally brought it up. Yeah. So I'm gonna be honest. That I, horse looks interesting, right? The horse? Yeah. It's like yes. the first time I've seen like a horse model like that in the oh, Mario yeah, world. Oh yeah, yeah, it does. But I was gonna be honest and say that in the case like of Sport big Superstars, face, tiny eyes. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. In general, though, I feel like there's other more inter- well, not more interesting, nothing <laughs> more interesting than the horse. That's not the only interesting thing yeah, they're I'll doing. Yeah, they made of that. that. Haha, that's not the only. I feel like that's not the only interesting thing they're doing with the game, though. So, as people may know, it comes with five different sports: tennis, golf, baseball, soccer, horse racing. Each has its own single-player tournament. And they're all Each different from their respective mode. 3DS game that already existed. Somewhat, yep. Except for horse. They all have online, and yes, uh, what's interesting is. In the case of golf and tennis. tennis, it comes from Camelot. They're developing it. In the case of the other three, Bandai Namco's developing it. Hmm. In other words, Nintendo themselves are not actually developing anything in this game, but they're still going to give it a push with Amiibo cards. <laughs> not even new art assets. Well, that's what I find so bizarre is they are for the game itself. Yeah. All the art looks really awesome and like strangely angry, but, <laughs> but like the going, cards um, don't. So they're making 90... It's like the last Marathonic Olympic game. That one had some pretty cool art. Mm-hmm. It was all squishy and angry. And yeah, and, and this one is too. And now we know, this is the new thing that's kind of interesting, is they're releasing 90 Mario Sports Superstars Amiibo cards alongside the game of Mario That 24. is a lot, but it definitely it makes is. sense when you see half of them. Yes. So before we get to that, here's how it works for anyone wondering. Tapping a card into the game will give your character a star status, which is a temporary uh, spec or stat boost. And this works in hmm. single player or multiplayer. Which is definitely a carryover from other sports games, where if you, I think if you beat the campaign with that character, you unlock their star mode. Well, or now star... there's now there's a, now there's two because that's the temporary one. Or if you tap three cards and then complete a mode called Road to Stardom, you get a permanent stat boost on your character. So what you can do is get the permanent stat boost, go through that single player experience of training yourself essentially, and then when you're playing online or whatever, just tap the one card and get a second stat boost on top on top of that. Oh, so it's, a, it's just like a two-layer thing. It's kind of like Smash Bros. training, so, but in like, reverse. Like, it's you instead of the card. So it's card. like a pay-to-win system. It's a pay-to-win system, yeah. Great. Uh, it's not necessarily a great idea, but it's interesting. It's the inverse of the Smash Bros. system. So I find that kind of interesting. But, I, I mean, even if it's pay-to-win, it's certainly better than just, like, you got a costume. Like, I'm going to spend $90. I'm going to spend a lot of money on 90 randomly assorted booster mm. pack cards of Mario Sports characters that use art from 10 years ago. Just to get a costume like at least this feels yeah. like you're getting something for your money the double-edged sword of that reward system is always perplexing because on one hand it's like it does feel like an actual reward for getting those cards but on the other hand it is an yeah. unfair advantage because you shouldn't have to pay to have an unfair advantage yeah but that's true and i mean and also the finest part of all this is what you already said which is the fact that all these cards use old art i mean do you want to touch on this because you notice this immediately when you're looking at them yeah, well, the one that, I mean, obviously anything Bowser-related will catch my attention right away. So I'm like, oh, cool, a Bowser card. I want the Bowser card. But then I saw the art. I'm like, no, that's Dancing Revolution Bowser. When yep, he's doing yeah, yeah. 
where he's breaking it down, but I guess the pose looks like he could also be kicking a soccer ball, which is what they went for. And then you see the Luigi behind him, I'm like, that Luigi looks familiar. And then you look at other pictures, and I'm like, yep, some of these are, there are, some of them are from Death Death Mario Mix, some of them are just from, like, other, I don't even know what the other ones are from. It's but. just generic Mario art that's existed since, like, the mid-2000s. Yeah, it's like the whole, um... They have some Mario Party. <laughs> the whole soup can for Mario's... For what, what for Mario Party Star Rush, yeah. they ended up actually using different art in the end, yeah, it's yeah. basically that. The, the funny thing is, I don't necessarily think this is a laziness thing on their part. I think it's dumb. I think they should have made new art. Like I said, I like the art style of, uh, of yeah, the game, yeah, so yeah, it'd be cool if they did that. But I think it, the again... The lack of consistency, I feel like, is what kind of bothers me. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if they're going to make 90, I bet it takes a lot of time and effort to make those poses, so... And I think it honestly ties back into that broader picture of how Nintendo's treating the 3DS. See how I brought it all around? Uh, I said it on the show before. I'm saying it again. They are. I said it earlier. They're intentionally keeping costs down with new 3ds products because it's the budget device. So you go for maximum profit by outsourcing to second, third party devs. We mentioned you mentioned you know RZS making Pikmin. There's Grezzo making Ever Oasis. There's Camelot and Bandai Namco co-developing this this Mario sports game. That's that's just you know that's an easy way for them to. Get these games out there, make quality products still, but get them out there quickly. And then even with like the the cards, why make new art when the old art works well enough for your purpose and you can yeah, still send? I mean that Bowser like does look like a convincing kick. Like I'm not gonna disagree with their use of it, but it is just something that if you if you knew the original art, it's kind of like eh, that's kind of lazy. I mean, yeah, it, 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 lazy. it is lazy. Yeah. But to the people that are gonna be buying, to the little kids that are getting these, oh, yeah. you know, if they're if this is a I kid mean, initiative, yeah, it's fine. They have no they, problem. They, they, exactly. They yeah. And and the thing is, like this this is why this exact thing is why I think everyone that online was overreacting when Tez said Switch and 3DS will coexist. They were they were like, oh no, this I this undermines Nintendo's entire merging of their development teams and and how are we gonna stay releases on Switch if they have to develop for 3DS too? Like, oh, this is so stupid. I thought they merged to avoid. This. I thought they were having one system, and I don't think any of that's true. I think what we're seeing here is Nintendo very clearly has its main teams focused on Switch. With second-party partners, third-party partners doing future 3DS releases. Nintendo's giving them the support they need. They're giving them the budgets they need. But they're kind of saying, hey, why make a new Mario Golf when you can port over World Tour's engine, slap a new coat of paint on it, and then print out some Amiibo card and make people happy with that? It sounds somewhat cynical, but I don't mean for it to me. And I don't think it's just Mario Sports is the only example. Case in point, look at the Fire Emblem Direct we had a couple weeks ago. We didn't talk about it at the time because we were covering Switch, but in that Direct, which we now get to dive into a little, Nintendo made two 3DS game announcements. One is a version of Fire Emblem Warriors, and the other is Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of uh, Valencia. So Warriors is probably the most blatant example of this strategy Nintendo has, this like budget approach. Because basically what's happening is Tecmo Koei is making it for Switch, and since they already have the tools to down-res a Warriors game onto 3DS because they did it with Hyrule Warriors, I think Nintendo's like, sure, why not? Like, you might as well. But There's 65 million people. Is it going to be an exclusive to New 3DS? Or yes, it is. So I think what they so did... So they're finally going like, all right. I think they somewhat learned... Um, yeah, so the 65 million person thing doesn't actually hold uh, hold water in this case. But I think they learned from the bad feedback about Hyrule Warriors frame rate that they can't do a port for all 3DSs. But even then, there are a lot of new 3DSs out there that this can be sold for or sold to. And it's super easy for them to downrest because the tool's already there. They already did this once. So it's an easy way for them to make some quick money off Fire Emblem, and offer a game to 3DS owners who don't have a Switch. Win-win. And, I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing that. In my, like, it's literally what they do with Mario Maker on 3DS. They provide a game to a new audience, and the new audience ate it up. 
So presumably Warriors would be the same. So if Warriors is like the blatant example of that strategy for 3DS, I'd argue Echoes is the more subtle one. So Echoes is a remake of a 1992 Fire Emblem game called Fire Emblem Gaiden. Never came stateside, never released outside of Japan. Uh, what they're doing is they're updating, they're taking all the like scenarios and story and everything and maps from Gaiden and plopping them into the current Fire Emblem engine that Intelligent Systems already they, uses so for 3DS Fire Emblem. So they're Final Fantasy, DSing, whatever. Somewhat. Because yeah, that game gave them yeah, 3D sprites. It like completely redid the original Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, games, yeah. so yeah, this is an updated remake. This is exactly that, yeah. And in addition, they're also building in the new features that Gaiden had. For example, Gaiden, um, or well, the one-off features. Like, he had dungeon exploration. had dungeon crawling and exploration, like two separate things, where you could, like, actually walk around the overworld and stuff. You didn't and... seem like a big fan of that. Me? Yeah. Well, I don't? Yeah, that's a you didn't seem like a big fan of that when? in particular when we were talking about it. No, I or think didn't... I said the opposite to you. I think I said I like the fact that it branching out because it makes it different than the other Fire Emblems I already have on 3DS. But oh. it, you thought I said the opposite? For some reason, I don't know. I thought you sounded like hesitant about that. No, no, no. With the mother feature. No, 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 no. I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that. And it's it's like basically if you look at games, basically the Zelda two of Fire Emblem, like it's the second game and it's the one where they do weird stuff that's outside the franchise norm and then undo it in the third one. So now they're letting people experience that, which I again am fine with. But what I think is really clever about how they're doing this is that Gaiden gives Fire Emblem fans on 3DS a new experience without the need for developers to invest in a lot of time to make an entirely new thing. Instead, they could just punch up the old one's script, expand upon existing Fire Emblem uh, engine to include the exploration stuff and the dungeon crawling, which granted requires dev work, but not as much as building a game from scratch. And then boom, here's a new game that appeals to current 3DS owners and current Fire Emblem fans. It's win-win. It keeps costs down, yet it offers something new. And to be clear, I don't, I'm not trying to be cynical here, I don't think Nintendo's trying to like rip people off what i think is happening is they're just finding ways to make products while saving money yeah, like fire it, emblem is it's still no, it's no different than valve using like oh we made the source engine to make half-life 2 all yeah. right let's see if you can make left for dead oh let's do left for dead too oh it's, still worth it's basically portal. that yeah like they have i don't even think they've updated their source engine since portal 2 and it's been a long time yeah and it's not like they're skimping on echoes either i mean it still has full full voice acting it still has its own like you said before it has a two amiibo bundle thing or not two amiibo bundle it has an amiibo two pack that's a better way of putting it um that features the game's leads and you know you get both on the same day as the system if you want like what the what they're doing what the point is is that echo shows how nintendo is able to like valve did release interesting games that people want to play for 3ds in a way that prevents them from having to spend more money and resources than they actually need to spend, and instead they can let their internal teams go make Switch games while they do this stuff on the side with other people. I mean, just look at the fact that Switch is getting a mainline Fire Emblem game a year from now. That was confirmed in the Direct. That needs to be built from the ground up, most likely. That is probably going to have a brand new engine. So while most of Intelligent Systems can be off working on that, they can have a smaller team at Intelligent Systems reuse much of the 3DS engine and assets and existing game scenarios from Gaiden, tweak it update it throw it out there boom new game it's pretty smart it's honestly pretty smart nintendo it's pretty smart so i think that's what we're gonna see at 3ds we will see new games we will see interesting things but they're gonna be reusing assets relying on others and that's how anyone that's freaking out saying the switch isn't gonna get all the games it deserves that's how it will still get all the games it deserves and actually while we're talking about fire emblem one real quick thing i want to make note of how crazy is it that the franchise has grown as much as it has in the past four years, 
like when Awakening came out, we learned shortly thereafter that if Awakening didn't do well, Fire Emblem would be dead as a franchise. Nintendo's gonna retire it for good. Now fast forward to 2017, and we have a new Fire Emblem game every couple months. We have Heroes that just came to smartphones this past Man, week. Man, we thought Call of Duty was right. This. Seriously, we have Heroes that just came to smartphones. We have Echoes on May 19th. We have Warriors on Switch and 3DS in the fall, and then we have a new mainline one for Switch in 2018. Four in a year. Now I don't mind. I'm a Fire Emblem fan. And it just really seems like Nintendo's like, oh man, Heroes is going to have such a big Halo effect on our Fire Emblem franchise. We need to go like all in. Let's just keep pumping out games to get people to buy them. So, like, why else would they stack it this much? It's just, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. I don't, I wonder if people will get Fire Emblem Burnout at some point. I mean, the games are pretty different, but I wonder if at some point people are just going to be like, I'm I got I'm Fire Emblem Burnout when they announced um, Corn for Smash Brothers. Yeah, see, and you're not, but you don't really play Fire Emblem, so. I tried, but. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, cup of tea. yeah, and yeah, everyone has their my, preferences. I mean, my entry was um, Sacred Stones because it was a ambassador game for the 3DS. Right. And I got, I got okay. I think I got, I think I made it like halfway through the game, but it took me forever to get halfway through the game. I guess I just wasn't that interested. And honestly, part of it is just because of the setting. Like for the most part, I'm just not too big of a fan of medieval. Yeah, just that medieval template. Like, you don't like it, Game of Thrones, do you? never even bothered yeah okay. yeah like usually that type of just kind of turns me off it could be an amazing game but i mean i don't know yeah no that's it's kind of the, kind of the same thing with the space exploration template with but you like the, metroid prime i don't know i thought um, you did do you not no, no no i do that one yeah but that one i don't know you spend a lot of time on planets like i'm talking more like oh like outer space <laughs> yeah like star wars ah. more specifically even though that's yeah, not right that's yeah, all on planets too but okay yeah, they spend a decent amount. It's like kind of both. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> but, I don't know. I think Star Wars just initially didn't catch my attention because of that. Yeah. Now, to to rope it back in to Nintendo's financials for a minute here. Sorry, folks. Uh, I did, We <laughs> did keep mentioning Fire Emblem, which kind of brings us to the final segment of the episode, which is mobile game news and impressions. Um, fact of the matter is, as I think we've all witnessed, mobile's become a really big part of Nintendo's bottom line. Like, Pokemon Go which isn't even Nintendo's own game, mind you, still generated 16.7 billion yen. That's $146 million for Nintendo because of their partial ownership of the Pokemon company. So just sitting there, being Nintendo and owning the Pokemon company, they made $146 million because of Pokemon Go. That's pretty big. And that's not even including the halo effect it had on the 3DS or Sun and Moon and those crazy sales we just talked about. Um, so, so first of all, for those who said Go wasn't going to do anything for Nintendo, like anything meaningful, you were very wrong. In fact, Go, here's a fun fact, Go has generated more revenue than the entirety of the virtual reality industry within the game industry in 2016. More revenue came from Go than came from the Vive and PlayStation VR and Oculus, which is a weird apples and oranges comparison. It's just kind of a funny one if you think about it. One little handheld or mobile game did all that. But we also indirectly learned some other stuff about Nintendo's mobile future. For example... And current Nintendo, I should say. For example, we now know that about uh, 40 million bucks was made off Super Mario Run thus far. Uh, now, Nintendo didn't specifically point out this number, but they did confirm in their financial briefing. Isn't that a briefing. bad percentage of like 5% of people? Well, that see, that's good. It? That's what's weird. It's good oh. for the industry. It's bad for Nintendo. So Nintendo put out that 78 million people download the game, and then 5% of those people download the full, you know, paid the 10 bucks and got the full game, which means Nintendo made $40 million. That's about 4 million people at $10 a person. You know, 40 million bucks. It sounds low. It does sound low. You're right. But it's actually a higher conversion rate than most free-to-play games get. Most free-to-play games, where they only charge a buck or two to do something, only get 3 to 4% of their audience to actually do something. Nintendo got 5%. 
So it's a little better. And from that perspective, you could argue Mario Run's actually doing really well. Plus, it's not on Android till next month, so there's still that second wave of people that are going to show up. But Nintendo wanted Mario Run to do better. So to answer your question from the other angle, yes, you're right, it's horrible. Uh, they expected it to do better, apparently. In the financial briefing, Kimishima pretty candidly was like, yeah, the reviews hurt us. The people complaining about the paywall hurt us. So to address this, Nintendo's now doing the opposite of what they said they were going to do. It's kind of sad, too, because, I mean... Well, yeah? I mean, yeah, yeah I guess they, I could see it being overpriced for some people, but it wasn't... It thing, wasn't that yeah. bad. It's just people are in the mindset of spending a buck or two, and even then, only 3% of people that play free-to-play games do spend the buck or two. Mm-hmm. But So Nintendo's now trying to fix that. And they're trying to fix that by going back on their process that there's no new content for Mario Run and making new content. Well, promise is a strong word. They're backpedaling on the claim they're not going to make new content, and they're making new content. They're doing updates. They decided they re- they apparently wanted this to be like an evergreen app title. They wanted it to constantly be downloaded by people, parents to their kids, that sort of thing. So to help make that easier, they're adding an easy mode. Uh, the idea is people who may not want to pay the whole 10 bucks because they thought it was too hard with a time limit and three bubbles, I guess they're out there, um now we'll be able to play without the timer and with more bubbles. That's one thing they're trying to do. Another thing they're trying to do is they're lessening the number of toads you lose in Toad Rally as a way to get people more interested in doing the rallies because you don't feel as bad when you lose. They're also tweaking some of the messaging in the game to make it clear what you get at the full purchase. They're going to highlight playable characters. They're going to improve mode introductions. They're really going to give a better pitch, essentially. But I think the biggest addition, and I think that's actually worth talking about, is the inclusion of more limited time events like more you know promotional events so to speak uh mario run now has a thing called i don't know if you've seen oh you you don't even have it anymore their thing called golden goombas yeah the goomba thing so apparently how it's gonna happen is randomly as you play the world's tour mode um from now until february 20th there will be a little gold goomba on some levels at random and if you stomp on him you get a 30 coin bonus and if you stomp on enough of them you fill up a stamp card you get a stamp for each goomba and when the cards fall you get one of four special buildings for your kingdom fill all four cards get all four buildings that's the idea. They want you to buy the game and go do that. And usually it seems like these sorts of events actually work. Because if you look at like Pokemon Go, it took events and activities to keep people engaged, and I think Mario's going to be the same. If Nintendo can do enough of these events and keep people engaged long enough and people hear about it enough, perhaps more people will buy it. So like, oh, cool, there's actually value here. So in the case of Pokemon Go, they had, as you know, the holiday promotion that was running with you can get more eggs, you could find the starters easier. You could catch a Pikachu in a Christmas hat. All that helped Pokemon Go do quite well. Its most successful period of revenue since launch was the final week of December when they were running all those promotions. Other times that revenue was up, the, Hall- the Halloween promotion, the Thanksgiving promotion, whenever they had a special event in the game that encouraged you to go check it out and do extra things, people checked it out and did extra things. Then, when it stopped, people stopped. I stopped. I was super into it end of December. I haven't played it in like two weeks, and I wasn't alone. I mean, the fact that revenue spiked and went up and down like that, like highs and lows, peaks and troughs, that is, I think, because exactly of this event issue. You need to have constant events to keep people engaged. If you look at something like uh, Pokemon Shuffle, you know Pokemon Shuffle turned two years old the other week? Nope. (laughs) And did you know that Pokemon Shuffle still makes a decent amount of revenue because it's constantly doing events and constantly giving you new Pokemon and that sort of thing? It, they like every couple of weeks they have something new going on so it looks like nintendo's now trying that with mario run and they're probably gonna try it with all their games going forward i mean it obviously won't 
drag everyone back in like you outright deleted mario run did you not like you beat it and removed it mm -hmm. so there's gonna be a lot of people like you who are not gonna come back because there's golden goombas there's gonna be a lot of people who like when we're gonna replay level they already got all three versions of the coin you get the golden goomba to enhance your kingdom that's the thing it doesn't feel to anyone but some yeah, to everyone, i don't really care about building will. the kingdom it's like but i just care about might. the actual level yeah or like, or like a better example that i can relate to more with is like mitomo where they have regularly rotating items, regularly rotating games or items in those games, and it doesn't really have a huge impact. No one's See, like, going like, back in for that. I like customization in games, but only when I could take that customization to the actual like meat of the gameplay. It's still a missed opportunity that the customization of Mitomo does not translate to your My Nintendo Me that you use elsewhere in their network. You think it would? You think it would? You think that would be the me that people could use? Right, and I think to your point, I think that's why if your core gameplay is enticing enough, and if these events in relate enough to that core gameplay or relate enough to enough number of people, you can get a decent portion of players to stay engaged with these events, and that means more money for you. And that is, I think, what Nintendo's going to start doing going forward. And I think perhaps Fire Emblem Heroes, which just came out, is the greatest example that Nintendo's finally learned the quote unquote correct way to approach mobile both to the advantage and disadvantage of us players. I mean, on the one hand, they have events baked in from the start. In an interview, the developers were saying that they plan to roll out new content every two weeks. They don't have an end date. Just every two weeks, there's going to be something new. A new map, a new scenario, a new character, a new item, something every two weeks. Wow. That Nintendo literally said the opposite of that with Mario Run, and now here they are saying, yes, that's what we're going to do. On the other hand, while they get the event thing to keep people engaged, this is also Nintendo's first foray into uh, traditional free-to-play gaming mechanics. This is them, as our title puts it, playing with fire. There are time limits. There are gotcha me uh, mechanics. It's This is the most traditional free-to-play experience you can get, and is coming from Nintendo, who was so opposed to it originally. And I think the reason they're opposed to it is because of what gotcha is. So for those who don't know, just a quick little recap, gotcha is a term for those little capsule toys you get from those toy machines, primarily in Japan. You put in money, you rotate it, a capsule comes out, you have no idea what the toy is, it could be a duplicate of what you have, it could be something you really want, it could be something you don't want at all. That's what you get, that's what you're stuck with. That's where your money went and you can't get it back. And boy, did we spend a lot of money on those in Japan. Exactly, that's the whole thing. It's basically gambling. And in the digital world, Japanese mobile games rely a lot on gotcha. D DNA, Nintendo's partner that's doing all these developer things for these games, like the back-end stuff, all their money came from gotcha mechanics. And now, after Iwata used to speak out actively against doing this, Nintendo had to bite the bullet to some extent and be like, well, this is the way things are going. Mario Run did not do as much as we wanted it to do. I saw somewhere they wanted it to be doubled. The honest and upfront isn't cutting it, so... So we're going to... Yeah, so we're going to line cheat. And I mean, it's... So Mario Run's weird because I read somewhere, I don't remember where, that Kim Machine was said they wanted to hit double-digit um, full purchases, like 10%, 11%, not 5%. They obviously did and its reviews are like one and a half, two stars. Fire Emblem Heroes currently has four and a half out of five stars. And it has the crazy gotcha mechanic and the time limits and all that stuff. So clearly mobile gamers are like, no, this is how I want to play. We want the gambling mechanic. Yeah, because I mean, by now, like, they're is. already used to this mechanic. This is what exactly. mobile games are. Exactly. This is how they're played. So they assume that's what you need to do. And investors are certainly happy that Nintendo did it. I mean, Nintendo's stock after Fire Emblem came out is up 6.33%. I believe when Mario Run came out, the stock went down. So... Just saying. And the, the thing about Fire Emblem is, like, in its case, the whole gotcha mechanic is pretty crucial to the main game because it's how you get new heroes from across the entire series. Like, you enlist them to your team by summoning them using orbs. 
and it takes five warps for one. And then Nintendo does this little clever thing where it's like, oh, we're giving you a discount. So it's five warps to get one hero, four to get two, three to get three, et cetera, et cetera, until basically if you want something five, it costs you 20 orbs instead of 25 orbs. Very generous of them. But uh, ultimately, you're spending 20 orbs every time you want a character, and not only are these character randomized, characters randomized, but so are the star rankings that are assigned to each of them. So you could end up which uh you can end up with sorry i'm misspeaking here you can end up with a really cool character like marth with a really low star score or a really low star score on or a really low sorry a really uncool character with a really high star score and you're like well i guess i'm gonna gamble some more and see if i can get the right combo yeah and pokemon duel have like the same stats for all their yeah across. yeah it's like an extra layer and, and you the could thing is them like, later, which is even better yeah and the star scores for those you don't know that determines how powerful your character is and the thing is like you if you do get a lower star character so if i have a one star lucina whatever i can manually train her up you got a one star lucina no i got five star lucina because i'm awesome second try that's right go me but if you manually train them up you have to invest the time to do that so that's a bit of a hassle because what if you want to play online with your friends Okay, sure, but now you have to first tramp your Lucina and you might not have time for that versus you can just throw some more orbs in and maybe you'll get the Lucina you want. So there's just this, like, there's this whole, like, oh, just one more try, I'll get the one I want that is very reminiscent of gambling, which is what the controversy with Gotcha is. And the thing is, Nintendo does not make it easy because they're like, hey, you can get some orbs for two bucks. Or, oh, do you want a lot of orbs? Do you really want to go all in? That's $75, please. That's the price range, $2.75 for orbs. And these orbs determine primarily what character you get, as well as if you need to replenish your stamina. Because like any mobile game, there's a stamina bar, which is whatever. But to add an extra layer to it, to make Nintendo really be like, oh yeah, you want, you want to spend your orbs. They also have different packs of heroes that you can summon at any given time. So for a limited time, like right now, there's the Legend pack. And in the Legend pack, you get Marth and Lucina and a bunch of other big name characters. Or you can get the like Tactician pack or something that has Roy in it, or whatever it's called. And they rotate these out. So not only do you have the urge of like, I know I can get this character, but you're like, oh no, I only have one more day to do it. And that makes you want to keep spending orbs so and thus keep spending like money. Kind of like Badger Arcade, except... Real money. A lot more random. Well, oh, yeah. Badger well, yeah. was real That's money. That's true, it was. Yeah, I forgot about that. It's like Badger Arcade, except you don't even get to know. You yeah, see you what yeah. badges are on the screen. With this, with the orb system for summoning, you don't know what you get till you get it. You don't even know if you'll get the right type. So there are five different spots that you can summon from of different colors different colors mean different characters those are randomized too so you say yes let me summon a character and it'll show sort of, you five I mean, I mean, they kind of narrow it down there like if you're green you'll get someone who uses a sword or no but what i'm saying is they don't guarantee you'll see a green no, i know one. yeah oh yeah yeah, I yeah you so you can get five blue one day and be like well i want a green guy i guess i won't get a green guy this time but i already spent the money so it's like this triple layered thing and i mean given the world of mobile games today given how Mar mario is arguably hurt by its one and done price I, may, I guess it makes sense for Nintendo to try this. I feel like at least the good news with Fire Emblem is earning orbs through regular gameplay isn't that hard. It ha at least it hasn't been for me. Like The tricky thing is, like I was saying, orbs also uh, fast-track your stamina replacement, which determines how many battles you can do at any given time. So if you run low and you want to keep playing, you can spend orbs to do that. Or you may want to use orbs for those characters and just wait to replenish your stamina through the game's natural timer, normal timer. Either way what happens is basically you need to get these orbs from winning battles from completing maps and you're ultimately gonna have fewer orbs from doing that than if you just buy some and you're gonna want to buy some and even my nintendo will give you orbs if you complete missions but you're still not gonna have enough orbs to do everything they want to do so you're still gonna end up buying some and that's just the way of the world i guess it's pretty standard fare for free to play mobile games but um 
it's new for Nintendo, and it's a little tricky for them because there's the whole ethical quagmire of like, is it okay for you to be having your kids gamble like this or not? And Iwata said no, and now Nintendo's saying yes, so take it or leave it. With that said, it honestly has not caused me any real hindrance while playing Heroes. Like, I think I'm now transitioning slowly into my impressions of the game, I guess. But it, it actually has I not... They already. <laughs> it, it, it kind of did, but I was just more talking about the system, and now I'm talking about how it has affected me, which is it hasn't. And I think part of that is because Heroes, to me... And you played it, too, so feel free to chime in, of course. Or I don't know how much you played. I know you tried it. Yeah, but, I played, I don't know, like maybe almost an hour? Yeah, then feel free to chime in if you agree or disagree. But to me, it honestly wasn't a hindrance because Heroes feels like a real mobile take on Fire Emblem more than it does a true Fire Emblem game. And as such, I seem to be subconsciously treating it that way. Like, the game's streamlined in a lot of ways. Uh, there's limited maps where or not the maps are limited in that they're only on a single screen they're always that one vertical screen you can only have four uh, characters in your party at any one time they made the movements really simple it's now just drag and drop on the enemy you don't have to like follow the, i mean within the grid system but you just drag and drop and that actually threw me in a loop because you don't even need to first place the character in front of the enemy and then choose attack which is what you do in normal fire emblem and advanced wars so i kept in the beginning losing chances to attack enemies and basically wasting my turn because I'd put him down next to them like, oh, I'll wait for the attack prompt and it wouldn't be there and I'd be like, oh, that was my move was putting him next to the enemy waiting to get hit. Great. But you skipped the tutorial? What? You skipped the tutorial? No, I did the tutorial but I'm so ingrained with you put him next to them and you hit attack because that's how Fire Emblem and Advance Wars have been since the beginning of time that it was it was a weird muscle memory thing I had to get over. It is a lot more. It is a lot more streamlined and a lot better when you just drag and drop on top. Yes, but my brain was telling me not to. Anyway, that's not the point. Uh, everything feels streamlined. Even the story moves that much faster and honestly much more shallow uh, clip than it does in like a normal Fire Emblem game. And all of this to me makes it easier to go through a battle in kind of like a mobile-friendly time frame. Do a couple more of those, and then you know that's it. You're done. You do two or three. You go do something else. For people who want like a meaty core Fire Emblem experience, like the core Fire Emblem fans, I can see the stamina issue being an issue for them. But for me, I'm just like, oh, cool, I did, like, one chapter of the story. That's, like, four missions. Or, like, the prologue was four, for example, and now I'm good. <laughs> now I'll let my stamina replenish, and I'll go do something else because it's mobile, it's quick, it's easy. It's It has depth, it has strategy, but it's easy. And you just move on to the next thing. And let me rephrase. When I say it's easy, I mean it's easy to just get through a battle. I don't mean it's like there's no challenge in it. Later ones do have challenge. I just mean it's easy to just like one and done it type of thing. Like I did battle, I'm ready to go do something else. Um, now about the battles, actually. There's a lot of different varieties of battle. Uh, there's the single player story maps. Those have nine chapters, each with a couple maps within, like three, four. There are rotating special maps that reward you with a unique character or if you complete them or like special items or whatever. Those are the ones I think they're going to be updating every two weeks. And the one thing I really wanted is there, which is asynchronous multiplayer, so you can do a battle with a friend over a prolonged period when you have the time. The one bummer with that is for some dumb reason I still don't understand, every single Nintendo app requires a separate code. That makes no sense. Every single one. Each of them lets you link to my Nintendo. Each of them have rewards in my Nintendo. But Mario Run, Mitomo, Fire Emblem, presumably Animal Crossing, whenever it comes out, they all seem to require separate individual friend codes. I guess codes. DNA wasn't as, um, what did as we thought. Well, apparently using identifiers of numbers versus names is pretty common in games like this on mobile. Mm. But I don't understand why Nintendo built the whole back, back end of my Nintendo if they're not even using it. It just, it's annoying. Maybe one day they'll fix it, but yeah, I don't know. Beyond the free-to-play scheme, beyond the dumb friend codes, I really, I really don't have anything but praise for Heroes. Like, 
Actually, no, I take that back. There's one thing I don't like. Why did they add lyrics to the Fire Emblem theme? Why? And not only lyrics, but, like, English lyrics. Well, the lyrics were over there. No, they didn't used to have lyrics on it. Did you not hear the Smash Brothers version? Did they have lyrics? Yeah. Is that where they first added it? Yeah, it was orchestrated, but it was, like... Well, then why are there lyrics there? The point is, they shouldn't have lyrics. <laughs> they used to have lyrics before it, it was just, um, in another language, so you couldn't understand. Oh, yeah, that's what... Okay, yeah, no, that's fine. I, I said in English. Why do they have lyrics in English? Well, you know, you said, why do they have lyrics and why are they in English? Oh, okay. Lyrics are fine. English, I don't get. Like, a choir or whatever. But why... I can, like... It's like, oh, fighting for light. It's like, stop. No. <laughs> it just sounds cheesy. I don't know. But anyway, minus those things, the rest of the game is basically like the perfect fan service for a Fire Emblem fan. Like, uh, and it's perfect for a new, uh, new introduction to new fans. It, it's like this weird half and half, which makes sense given that the whole premise of the game, I guess, is uh, an excuse to bring together all the Fire Emblem favorites. So for fans, that's fan service. For new people, that's an introduction. It, it's logical. Uh, but I will say, because that's the premise, like, they could have maybe made the plot a little more than just the literal, like, we're bringing everyone together. The evil empire that's bringing together all the characters is called Emblia, and the game's called Fire Emblem. And the whole premise is, like, we're summoning heroes from the world of conquest. Hmm, there's a Fire Emblem called that. The world of fates. Oh, there's a Fire Emblem called that. The world of radiance. Yep, that's a Fire Emblem. Like, it's just funny how they are so blatant with the story, and I don't know. Like, that. that's when we're saying the story shallow, not just in terms of, like, what happens before battles because I want to get you moving quickly, but just the premise is just, like, the Emblia are combining. It's like, yes, that, that's just your games, and these are just the heroes. I don't know how else they could have written it, but it just came off really, like, transparently worth marketing to you all our games at once or fan servicing you. Take your pick. But it does go deeper than that, and that's what's kind of cool. Like, maps are often modeled after maps from the old games, like individual maps. They sort of, like, restructured to fit in the vertical one-screen view. Um, or to make reference to them. Uh, there's also the fact that every character you summon has brand new, or every character in the game really has brand new artwork, brand new voice acting. You, uh, it's actually credited in the corner, the artist and the voice actor for each character, hmm. which is kind of neat. And then you can browse when you're on their bio. If you click a little icon, you can actually browse artwork. There's four pieces of art for every character. They're perfectly formatted for your screen. They have nice backgrounds. They're basically made to be turned into wallpapers for, for fans of the franchise. So you have like a wallpaper builder right there with every character you unlock or summon. So that's kind of neat. And then for the newcomers, Nintendo also conveniently marks which game each character is from. So it's like, oh, it's it's Marth of this Fire Emblem, or it's Krom of Awakening, or it's the, it's like right there, the name of the game. Where it's, I mean, the only thing missing is a buy me button to go buy it for mm -hmm. 3DS from the eShop or something. Like it's, it's smart for Nintendo to do that. It is smart. And uh, I think the, the other thing that really appeals to newcomers more than the marketing, which doesn't really appeal to them, but is being pitched to them, is how streamlined it is. Like, this is pick up and print and – wow, I cannot talk to it. This is pick up <laughs> and play friendly for those newcomers, and it kind of is like a gateway to the forward Fire Emblem experience because it offers the battles and stuff, but it leaves out relationship building. It leaves out, like, deeper mechanics and, like, some of the buddy system stuff and whatnot. It has allies, but not, like, the full breadth of what you can do in the other ones. And there's other stuff – in Fire Emblem that Heroes conveniently just sort of glosses over. So when you do make the jump to a real Fire Emblem game, it's actually like an upgrade to a fuller experience. But at the same time, for those who have played a real Fire Emblem game, you still have the ability to customize your castle, you still have the ability to boost the stats of your character, to build like a perfect team. You can still make different teams and configure them however you want. It even supports Game Center and Google Play to do achievements, so you can really try and get everything possible. It's basically Fire Emblem, just a lot more streamlined. And for that, Minus the free-to-play stuff, which honestly is not that bad if you don't play for hours on end. It's a good game. So I think in terms of Nintendo like playing with fire or not, 
I think it worked out in their favor. The free-to-play stuff can be a hindrance for some, but for the most part, it, it hasn't bothered me. I have yet to have an issue with it. And the way the game plays, it's basically Fire Emblem on speed. I'm 100% okay with that. It's just you're boom, 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 you're done. So if you like Fire Emblem, I would check it out. If you've never played Fire Emblem, this is kind of the intro course, unless you disagree. No, um, I actually agree with everything you said, but um, I have since deleted it just because... Because you're not a big Fire Emblem fan, yeah. as you were saying earlier. That makes sense. And I do have to admit, the one question I have walking away from Fire Emblem Heroes is, what does this mean for Animal Crossing on smartphones? So Nintendo just delayed it from uh, coming out this fiscal year, meaning before the end of March, to coming out next fiscal year, so April through March of 2018. We don't know anything about it, but I can't help but wonder, are they going to do a gotcha thing with like items in that game? Like, How's that even going to work? I feel like that makes the most sense. You just get, it does. This is going to be a dispenser. It's going to be like a sofa dispenser, and then you just randomly get a sofa. But the, th- but the thing with that is, like, so I guess you get duplicate sofas, because in the yeah. real Animal Crossing... You... Can you do that in the real Animal Crossing? Oh, you can in the real Animal Crossing. You have multiple of the same, that's right. Because, yeah. like, there have been times in, Animal... in I mean, uh, the, Fire the, Emblem that I've gotten the, the same character multiple yeah, times. Yeah, multiples is not... It's nothing new to the whole gotcha system. I mean, in Hearthstone, if you get multiple cards, they let you disenchant them for yeah. points that you could eventually build up enough points to get one you actually want. Right. Or in Pokemon Duel, you could just sacrifice them to power up a existing Pokemon. Right. So I guess that makes sense, yeah. But we'll, we'll see. I just... It's much... a bummer that Animal Crossing got delayed, but... We have enough on our plate, honestly. Yeah. Like, we have Fire Emblem now, we have Pokemon Duel now, which we'll talk about in a sec, and we have Switch in a few weeks, so... Probably for the best to delay uh, Animal Crossing, which does bring us to Pokemon Duel. I just name-dropped it. So, mere days prior to Fire Emblem coming out... Uh, Pokemon Company's like, oh, we should get our gotcha game out first. And they released Pokemon Duel, which previously was known as Pokemon Co-Master in Japan. And here it is in America with no advance warning. And it's pretty fun. You're way ahead of it than I in it than I am. And it's more up your alley because of Hearthstone and that sort of thing. So I don't know. Do you want to yeah, take the, the lead game, on this one? Yeah, the game is pretty fun. I was actually entering the game thinking I wasn't going to like it. And it was going to be another like instant delete. But it was fun. It's... um. Essentially, you play as this person that I guess has never played Pokemon Duel before, and he's somehow on this bus to one of the biggest tournaments in this Pokemon Duel. Because that's how tournaments work. Yeah, like you just get on this <laughs> random bus, and you're like, "Oh, you're up, you're going up to that tournament, right?" Yeah, that confused me. Where you where you could win this giant tower, and like, wait, you've never played this game before? You were just gonna wing it? All right, let me show you how to play because everyone in the world is that nice. Yep. And the game essentially, I like to describe it as um, it's. I guess it's kind of like chess and checkers, but with a spinner. So you could move... Like seven spinners. So you can move your pieces as strategically as you want, but all attacking is done with the spinner. So at the end, it does come down to luck, but your luck is kind of... You, I guess you essentially control how much luck is actually involved. So it's not... I don't want to say it's completely unfair, but it's, you definitely do lose from time to time feeling a little cheated, but I mean, that's kind of all... All of these kinds of random games, kind of like Hearthstone, there's a, there's definitely a heavy element of luck to it that keeps you from winning 100% of the time, but there is the luck, I feel, doesn't hold back the actual gameplay. And I guess attacks basically come down to you either, when you're spinning, you either land a hit, and if your attack is stronger than their attack, you knock them out. If, that requires them to also land a hit using a spinner as well. Yeah, so if there's, they, there, there's luck on their end. Yeah, if they land a miss, then they obviously get hit. If they land a dodge, they obviously dodge, and it's like nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Or they get a special move. If that special move has some sort of priority over your attack, then you'll either get put to sleep, you'll get poison, which lowers your attack. There's a lot of factors that could get into play. And then on top of that, 
you have cards that you get to activate whenever you want but only a certain number of times that let you pretty much bypass certain rules like normally you can't pass through an enemy pokemon that's in the way because you have to knock them out first mm -hmm. but you have cards that let you sometimes jump over them you have cards that power up your attacks or maybe guarantee that you won't get a miss or revive pokemon that are defeated and so the cards feel like that's where strategy comes in because it's so luck based yeah. i mean granted so is you could set up your spinner and change the proportions of each yeah, thing would... on it but the cards are really like if you're having bad luck the card can override basically override that no, yeah luck. they they have this cool thing where you can actually watch um featured matches they i guess they randomly record matches and they just randomly yeah put just them from on the it. server yeah yeah and i was watching a few because i was just curious how all right how does this game look on um, with someone that's played this game for a lot longer and they the game actually be get pretty interesting like they last a pretty long time. It doesn't feel like... It almost feels like they already kind of got rid of the luck element and they're just like nitty-gritty placement, all right? They always put their figures on the second spot because that's the safest place to put them and then they have... It, it's The grid itself is also really interesting. Yeah, it's it, like a weird crisscrossy, zigzaggy. It's yeah, like there's it, a square with like two triangles in the middle. Yeah, it's cool. Because, I mean, the object of the game is... It's basically like checkers in the sense that you want to get to the other side. Specifically to a goal in the middle spot. Yeah. yeah. So first person to get a Pokemon there automatically wins. That's it. Doesn't matter how many Pokemon you have knocked out or whatever. Which is good because I suck at it, but I can still win <laughs> by luck <laughs> or by ganging in the right spot. So building a good team like that has a good balance of strong attacks and good effects, is, and especially the cards, is definitely crucial. But just like Fire Emblem and a bunch of these gacha games, or like Hearthstone, you're buying boosters that give you a random figurine. And the more jewels you have to buy these boosters, I guess also increases the odds of getting rare Pokemon because I noticed that there's a it does yeah, yeah like like pay a hundred to just get a booster and and, and then there's another one that says pay four hundred and you're guaranteed at least an EX one so you and to chime in that's where this diverts from how Nintendo's doing gotcha this is more of like a reasonable gotcha because you do know you get what you pay for yeah with Fire Emblem and with gotcha from Japan more so I mean this is from Japan but you know what I mean like the traditional gotcha where it compared to yeah, gambling yeah they never up you your never aura. get an advantage you never get to know oh I'm gonna get something better because I spent more and that I think is where a lot of the controversy with gotcha for Nintendo's side of things comes from yeah this I mean, does it right I th feel this like. one um I feel like takes a page more from just traditional um trading card games because mm -hmm. card boosters always come you're always guaranteed at least a rare at least a rare card of some sort. And for the most part, the boosters, they don't really guarantee them unless you buy them in bulk, which is the kind of the equivalent of buying a pack of booster cards. Mm -hmm. So when you buy a, like, a set of them, then you're definitely guaranteed a rare. Like I pulled two Lugias already just because I keep buying them in bulk. It's basically odds versus randomization. Yeah, because each box only comes with one figure. And if you buy them in bulk, you also get cards and you get some, I guess, stone that you use when you fuse. Because there's a fusing mechanic where... Let's say you have, like, I have multiple Lugia, so I ended up, you could go to this fusing, fusing station, and you could pretty much sacrifice multiples of Pokemon you want, or just Pokemon you don't want, and these extra stones you get, to level up your Pokemon, and just make them more powerful. Mm. And every time you level them up, you can increase the size of one of the sections on your spinner to increase the odds of getting that section. Right. And whenever you increase the section of a spinner, you actually decrease the size of the miss section. Because something has to give. I mean, the pie. And that's where, presumably, you can uh, yeah, do uh, better than luck. Because yeah. you get to Cause at some strategically point, like, make these spinners. Because in theory, like if you level up enough times, you're pretty much almost... You're rarely going to land on the miss. It's going to come down to whether you land an attack or a special attack. 
but then it becomes you have to play through enough of those lucky matches to get to the point where you can yeah, guide and, your luck. Basically. Yeah, you're pretty much guiding the luck. Because then at yeah. that point, it's like, do you want to power up the actual attack or do you want to power up the special move? So I like how there's like enough depth in here that at the end of the day, it still comes down to luck, which... It's luck, like, luck it's like Mario Party. <laughs> yeah, because I mean... A little more guided. <laughs> like, that's kind of why I like um games like Pokemon and Hearthstone and this game because no matter how good your strategy is, like, you could... It prevents people from having a broken strategy that's always going to win every time because that doesn't make for a fun experience. Hearthstone does have some decks that... Um, they pretty much just... There's, like, little luck involved. You just kind of get destroyed and it's kind of frustrating and it's not that fun. Right. But when you're playing... but in this game, like there's since there's always an element of luck, there's always an element of luck in regular Pokemon where like you have the perfect Pokemon but they land a critical hit on mm-hmm. you or you miss an attack. It mirrors. So that, it just yeah. always makes it exciting and interesting. Like you're always kind of on the edge of your seat, you're always hoping you always have your fingers crossed, like, Oh come on, this one has to make it and then when you do land it, it feels that much more gratifying than kind of just going by the numbers like, Oh right, this is my game number ten in a row that I've won. Right. I mean, then at that Although, point, like, why are you well, even at some point you get stopped from doing that because much like Fire Emblem, there's instead of stamina, they have energy. Which refills and very dual, fast. Which does refill. Uh, stamina refill, uh, refills pretty quickly in Fire Emblem as well. Yeah, cause but I, cause I feel like it's I still play, there. So if you play like hours on end or you're going through the whole quest to win yeah, that tower, I, you'll get stopped. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've never... I guess just for these kinds of games in general, except maybe Hearthstone, but I usually spent playing Pokemon like maybe for 20 minutes at a time. Yeah, that's what I was saying about Fire and Emblem. Then, yeah. And then I was like, all right, I'm kind of done for now. And then before I realized that I get a notification saying I'm, I'm back to full power, and I'm like, really? I thought this would take a lot longer. Yeah. That yeah. that's exactly how I am with Fire Emblem, which is why I was saying like for core people that like really want to get a meaty Fire Emblem, or even this, if you want like a meaty tower Honestly, winning adventure, I think I'm... um, you're gonna have to stop at times or pay money. But for most people, for day to day use, these games are made for casual, every so often play, and they work for that. Yeah, or not every so often, but you know what I mean, like casual twenty minute yeah, sessions, yeah. and they work. And I feel like I'm really liking this game more for, I guess because it's on iOS or just on mobile because. Uh, the fact that I know we're not going to get a traditional Pokemon battle simulator or app like that mm, in, mm-hmm. anytime soon or ever. So this kind of fills in that void where I still get to play with a team of six Pokemon and I'm still battling with other people online. It's completely different, but at the same time, it's very familiar and it's like, cool, Like I like this. It's It has little random Pokemon element. Oh yeah, and um, type advantage doesn't matter here. It all comes down to the spinner. Yeah, it's the spinner. Yeah, praise the spinner or whatever. The the one thing I will say, yeah, <laughs> praise the spinner. Uh, the the one thing I will say besides the spinner is nuts. The fact that I control so much is um I actually do really enjoy it too. But the one thing I was gonna say is I don't know why they made it so all the menus so convoluted. Like oh, I feel yeah, like yeah, the menu. Like Fire Emblem has a lot of options. You definitely I have to keep, learn yeah. how to navigate through. Like I don't mean to keep comparing like a Fire Emblem. Game. To, oh my God. Basically, yeah, I don't mean to keep comparing Fire Emblem to um, Duel or Duel to Fire Emblem. But I mean, they did come out three days apart, and they're both Nintendo franchises, and they're both introducing Gotcha to a whole new audience of Nintendo people. So I feel like it's apt to make the comparison. But Fire Emblem, yeah, it is complicated menus, or it is a lot of menus, but you can figure out where to go very easily. For some reason, Pokemon Duel, if you want to do single player and not battle online, it's buried in a sub sub menu. I don't, I don't know why. Like, you go to the screen, yeah, yeah. and then and, on the screen, you click another menu, and it's like quests. Yeah, and to be quests. clear, like, quests, like, normally, traditionally, quests, I... Are one-off special maps or special battles. Well, I, I attribute right? to, like, like oh, kill 40, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, or like, yeah, like, like, some, like, like some, a special task. Yeah, like tasks. But yeah. you think it'd be called campaign or something. Nope, but, it's not. Yeah. And, you, I, and, like, I don't know. It also, like, everything, it doesn't, it's made... It works well for mobile, but I feel like it doesn't know it's on mobile, because, like, the intro for the game is, like, 
10 minutes long about how you're like, oh, you've never played this before? Oh, you mean you mean you're going to enter a tournament of a game you've never played? Well, boy, what's your name? I'll walk you through it. And it's just like, this is they're, really they're, long. They're definitely building a lore to it, which I... It's cool they're building a lore. Which don't get me like, wrong. I mean, but it's just, it felt like, it made me but, kind of appreciate how weirdly shallow Fire Emblem was. I don't know, but I think that's why they buried it. Because if, now yeah. I'm treating the story more like an option. Like, if you yeah. want a meaty story, it's there. If you don't, you could completely ignore it. And that's just true. Go through that's true. And I mean, it is really fun. Like, I like it too. It's... It's funny because this and Fire Emblem have so many similarities. Makes me kind of a little sad that I didn't play the spinner game because I guess I would have liked that. Like the actual physical Yeah, toys. yeah. So that's the thing that very few people know or realize. I remember is... seeing them in Toys R Us and I'm like, this is dumb. So, yeah, so, Pokemon this, so Pokemon Duel is actually based on the Pokemon trading figure game, which was a secondary physical manifestation of Pokemon that the Pokemon company tried to make in like, I don't know, 2000, late 2000s, like mm. 7, 8, 9. I think they actually tried to make it one of their other pillars in the tournament. They did. They tried to do it at the championships and everything. And it was literally the physical incarnation of this game. You had the, the board looked the same. You had figurines you collected. You had up to six you could use. Everything used spinners instead of dice because they're trying buy, to differentiate from. And whenever you buy figures, the there was always a blind one that you didn't yep, know what it was. Yep. And it bombed hard. They never released anything beyond the first pack, the first like edition or it's pack or wave. So now it's living on successfully with Pokemon Duel, which is just kind of a funny turn of events that like nine years later, like, you know, what if we did that but digital? What if it, we Hearthstoned it? And then here we are. Yeah. But it is kind of funny to like draw, and I know I keep saying this, but Fire Emblem, Pokemon Duel. Similar idea. You build a team. You go do a turn-based battle. They come out three days apart. I have no point in this. Just, <laughs> it's weird. Like, what are the odds? Like, Comaster's been out for a, a, a while in Japan, like over a year. We've known about it, but and now it comes out as Duel within three days of Fire Emblem. I will say this is a turning point for Nintendo. I sort of alluded to this already, but we as Nintendo fans do not usually have to deal with Gotcha or with stamina bars or with any of the free-to-play mechanics. And now, two in three days, this is the future outside of the switch and the 3ds so embrace it folks this is it's just kind of funny like for customer roster like oh cool one time we purchase or oh hey it's just free to play or oh i get i buy more pokemon ball or pokeballs and pokemon go that's fine but now it's like oh you're all in now this is what this is what it's like to not buy you already have to not play to nintendo like a, <laughs> you could really have a nintendo for you i mean yeah you have mitomo pokemon go fire emblem pokemon duel I mean, uh mario mario that's already five, animal crossing soon five games already that's, yeah that's it's it's enough. impressive yeah uh, so and it's all gonna, and it's all gonna keep. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like if the switch, well, like I was saying earlier, the well, switch on, doesn't I, do I'm, well, they can easily just yeah go straight just to mobile on and over. Yeah. yeah, switch on over. Uh, but yeah, so I guess unless there's anything else, I would recommend. I mean, you're the one getting most impressed, but I would recommend checking out Pokemon Duel as well as Fire Emblem. They're both fun, even though they're very similar in some ways. They're different well, and notable other because ways. they're free to play. They're definitely worth a try. Yes, they're worth a try. If you don't like it, you can do Which what uh, Angel nice always thing does. You can say about mobile games over console games that you don't. You could literally just try it. Even free. Mario Run you could try, with but no then risk. you can freak out when you have to pay $10. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's literally That no is risk, a huge so. advantage that, I guess, console games will never really have. Outside yeah. of, like, the demos they release. Which but... also makes us giving you impressions on podcasts that much less important. So, if you really stuck through all these, thank you. Because you didn't have to. You could just download it. And mm-hmm. I just undersold our entire podcast forever now. <laughs> or not undersold, but undermined our entire podcast forever. But, hey, well, you can still listen to us in two weeks. the first time someone did that, this podcast. Did you too? Well, didn't you say that I undermined it earlier? When oh, yeah, I when I talked about to, the financials. Yeah. When I wanted to skip to That's right, Superstar. that's right. So, if you're still with us after all that undermining, be sure to <laughs> tune in in two weeks' time for our next episode. Um, it's coming uh, on... You February. think we can't get any lower? You think you can't get lower? Just wait. This limbo bar just keeps going <laughs> We're down. We're going to keep giving you reasons not to listen to <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, by, by the end of this year, you'll be like, this was a waste. 
Um, but no, uh, I mean, we're not the only podcast out there. <laughs> yeah, there's others. No, but uh, seriously, if you do enjoy us, first of all, actually, before I even get to the next episode, a really quick note. So our last episode about the Switch was actually our biggest episode ever. It was the most listened to we've ever had. In only four days, it did what some episodes took years to do. So I did want to say thank you to all of you for listening because that really means a lot. And we realize a lot of it's the Switch hype and not us personally. But it means more to me than Jason, though. What? It means more to me than Jason. Though. Oh, I'm sure. Okay, it means a lot to me, but must mean a lot plus to you a yeah. lot plus one maybe after plus. birth plus yeah oh yeah okay but no seriously thank you to everyone who listened that is really cool to see those numbers roll in so we appreciate it and be sure to tune into our next episode as i was starting to say it's coming on february 19th we're gonna have any news that came out of the investor meeting q a which uh the translation should be hitting any day now so we're just waiting for that so we could cover that news and of course we're gonna have more switch news because we're getting very close to switch launch just there are one many more things without there, the i know there are many things nintendo needs to tell us so on the equivalent of the eve of the switch for our podcast schedule we're gonna cover whatever's left and i assume it's gonna be interesting hopefully <laughs> but we also of course gonna be talking about what we're playing i think tank troopers is out by then so we might have that so make sure you don't miss any of that uh you can follow us on twitter at ram nintendo you can subscribe to us on whatever podcasting app you use uh, we recently noticed that we are on player fm on android as well as uh Another one that I'm drawing a blank Notice on. Evan, and Podcast Addict. Podcast Addict as well. As in, I was looking at our stats and found the sources of many of our listeners. So if you guys have those apps, Podcast Addict or Player FM, you can subscribe on there. You can, of course, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music, as always. Or really, whatever you use. We're on a ton of stuff. Stuff we don't even know we're on. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks' time. If you're curious about anything you have to say before then, you can find me on Twitter at JSR7. You can find Angel on Twitter at Wero, W-E-R-R-O underscore O. And that just about does it. So... Go gamble a little on Fire Emblem. Go gamble a little on Duel. And we'll be back in two weeks.